That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I want to give you a sound, I guess... I want to put your ear to the ground. It comes comes up with a milestone playoff victory. Well, there you go. There's the end of the Rose Bowl. How about the end of the Sugar Bowl? Final play of the Sugar Bowl. Texas trailing all night long. One last chance to advance to the national championship game. Ewers loves it up, and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. Heisman Trophy or not, Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies going to the national championship game. Pac-12 getting a team into the national championship game for the first time since the playoff started. When Oregon made it in 2015 against Ohio State. I can remember that. Uh, It wasn't that long ago, was it? I guess it was, but wasn't when you think about uh, relative time uh and i remember oregon state fans wrestling at the time when oregon was playing ohio state for the title oregon state fans going you know what? we're going to support it's a pacific northwest team will you support the huskies will duck fans support the huskies will beavers fans support the huskies i want to hear from you i want to hear uh is this a victory for the pacific northwest is it a victory for the pac-12 even though the Pac-12 is dismantling and going in different directions. And what do you make of this matchup? Michigan and Jim Harbaugh casting a, uh, I guess, a uh, ominous figure. They're like the uh, the villains in this drama, if there is uh, drama to this game. And Jim Harbaugh and Michigan will uh, will be on the other side of the field from Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix Jr., I like Washington in this game. I'll lay out why I like Washington to win the game. I liked Washington to beat Texas. I think Washington's just the best team. And I'll get into the weeds on why it is I think Washington's going to win. But I want to hear from you. Uh, In this happy new year of 2024, first show of 2024 for me and maybe for you, and I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. Tell me what you made of it. Do you celebrate it as a victory for the Pacific Northwest? I know Anna was saying that to me. She says, I'm going to support Washington because Washington's a team from our region. This is good. This is uh, not the normal early January. Let's pile on the Pac-12 conference. Let's pretend that the football in the Pacific time zone doesn't matter. This is a very different narrative in this postseason. I, um, I got to be honest with you. Like In the last five or six years, I have felt that this week of radio has been particularly difficult because we get shut out. We get told by the college football playoff that the Pacific time zone doesn't matter. And, you know, even 
you know, as you go back and you look at the recent games that weren't all about the SEC, TCU making the game and uh, getting uh, raced off the field last year, it hasn't at all felt like the Pacific time zone has participated in the playoff. Outside from the appearance uh, of Washington in 2019 and Oregon in 2015, Pac-12 didn't get any entries into the event, only won one game prior to this year when Oregon beat Florida State and Jameis Winston in uh, in the Rose Bowl in the lead-up to the national title game against Ohio State that year. Uh, and, and now suddenly the Pacific time zone does matter. But in recent years, I have felt like you could pretty much go west of the Rockies and just go, hey, does anybody feel like they have any connection to the game? And so here we are, Washington in the Pacific Northwest in the national championship game, Michigan in the Big Ten Conference in the national championship game, I think it's going to really test the uh, you know the SEC eyeballs and the um, and the uh, you know the engagement that you're going to see or not see coming from the southern part of the United States and the eastern far eastern part of the United States that we all know exists. That bias that we know exists will be tested by this game, and I think you're going to get a lot of people who are pro SEC who are going to say, "Oh, this playoff lacks fill in the blank." But I think this is going to be a great playoff game. I'm glad a team from the Pac-12 Conference made it. Um, I'm eager to see Michael Penix Jr. play on that stage. He did not look phased at all in the Sugar Bowl by uh, what you know was going down. Like you know, if you wondered if the stage was going to be too bright and too big for the play, I think Washington answered that. Like on its uh, opening possession, when Penix goes uh, hooks up with a receiver for a 77-yard uh, catch and run. It was just a remarkable performance by Michael Penix Jr. And then, and then, look, it wasn't all Penix, but, you know, Washington's defense had to make some plays down the stretch. But, you know, Washington made mistakes and allowed Texas to get back in the game. But I kind of think that's just the way Washington plays. Washington has got sort of this NFL-style offense, and it just kind of allows teams to hang around. And then, you like the NFL teams that have great quarterbacks, does enough at the end of the game to win the game. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., Kalen DeBoer, both interviewed after the game. Here's Penix. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, I ever felt like this wasn't possible because, you know, all things are possible uh, uh, when you believe in God, you know. So for me, you know, it was just it, it was a tough time. You know, I, I was going through uh, some tough things, you know, throughout my career. But, you know, I always say, man, I feel like everything I've been through, you know, built, built me for this moment, you know, built me into the man and the the person and the player I am today. So, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, I'm, I'm super blessed to be in this position, and I'm super blessed to be uh, be able to do it with the dogs. There's Michael Penix Jr. talking about uh, doing it with the dogs. And uh, the quarterback at Washington, cr- truly, I think, the best player on the field for either team in either semifinal game. And it's why I like Washington in the national championship game. I just think Penix is on a mission Kalen DeBoer said it after the game. He said, you know, this is a guy who literally, since the Heisman Trophy announcement, has had a chip on his shoulder. And I had Penix at the top of my ballot for the Heisman vote. Um, ended up, uh, you know, he doesn't win the thing. Jaden Daniels, the SEC hype machine, ends up giving the uh, uh, the, Nash, the uh, excuse me, the Heisman Trophy to an uh, SEC player at LSU. And But I, I thought it was a real mistake and a real oversight. But, man, did he ever punctuate his campaign in the semifinal win. Here's Kalen DeBoer talking about the stressful moments. He did an interview with Scott Van Pelt in the postgame. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's, uh, it's intense, right? But, uh, 
you know, I just, I think what's it do? You just got to stay sharp and you got to stay focused on the main thing. And that's just continuing to, you know, just keep coaching. And uh, I think my demeanor uh, is important in carrying that on with our players and uh, our staff. And so um, been through it a lot of times and uh, just, you know, making sure um, that, uh, you know, we just focus on the next play and uh, the highs and the lows of the game can't get up and ca caught up in the emotions of it. Um, just do it, take care of what you can control. I think Washington took care of business. They advanced to the title game. But I'm wondering, will Oregon fans get behind Washington? Will they say, hey, it's a Pac-12 team? Uh, will they say it's a Pacific Northwest team? Or will Oregon fans root for Michigan in this game? And what about Oregon State and Washington State fans in particular? You know, I did radio in Seattle earlier today, and, you know, the, the Washington State fans are going, oh, gosh, this week's going to be, you know, it's going to be nauseous this week to, to listen to all of the Husky hype, all of the buildup. But what will Oregon State and Washington State fans do when the game kicks off? Will they be rooting for the team that hailed from the Pacific Northwest, that hailed from the Conference of Champions? That Will they be rooting from a pride standpoint to be like, hey, the Pac-12 not only had teams that could play and would, would draw eyeballs, but the Pac-12 had the eventual national champion playing in this game. And I, and I really think the Pac-12... If you want to look at Washington's season, all, a lot was made of over how many close games the Huskies played. There were like eight or nine games as they let in, nine straight games playing uh, one score or under, two points, three points, four points, six points, seven points, nine points. And I kept thinking to myself, like, you know, ten points or less in that many games, that's dicey stuff. Like, we all know how that can go and how you can l easily lose one of those games. But I also think it makes you battle-tested. And I think Washington was well-equipped to win a game like the one that they won yesterday. Let's go out to the phone lines. 503-417-7575. Let's start with Steve. Steve from Jamba. You heard from Steve all year long. Steve, are you rooting for the Huskies? Happy New Year, John. I am dying to say this, but I am going to root for the Huskies, and I lost three bets to one of my best friends uh, who actually played for the Huskies, I think, like as a four-string quarterback in the 80s. Uh, I bet on Oregon State. I, Oregon doubled down. Now I'm, I'm – but I'm still – I mean, come on. The coach is awesome. These guys have figured out a way to win. Every time I thought they were going to lose, I bet against them. So I think they're better suited to play Michigan than they were Texas. I think they're going to win the game. Yeah, I agree with you, and they're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. At least that's how – or underdog, that's how it opened. Steve, appreciate you, man. Uh, uh, yeah, you happy too, New buddy. Year to you, my friend. Okay, talk to you. See ya. There he is. He's rooting. He's rooting for the Huskies. Let's go to Bruce in Portland. I wonder how Bruce will root. Bruce, what do you got? John, first of all, Happy New Year. Uh, no way in the hell I'm rooting for the Huskies. Being a <laughs> diehard Duck fan, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You know, if it were Oregon State or somebody else, I mean, kudos to the Huskies. They played great. Penix, the rest of the nation finally got to see how good Penix is and his receiving core. I mean, those guys are all NFL next-level guys. Um, but that being said, I also have ties to Michigan. My, my father went to Michigan, so I've got to root for Michigan. I don't know any of my friends that are going to root for Washington. Um, and it's too bad, you know, with the demise of the Pac-12 that this is coming on our, on our final year because um, who knows what would have happened in the years to come with the whole the conference and the way everybody has been playing. Uh, what two great games yesterday. Washington did their best to try and give Texas the, the win last night, man. That last possession of Washington, you're just questioning divorce play calling. 
You know, and if, if Texas, if Sarkeesian would have gone for three straight, four straight passes to the end zone, who knows what might have happened. Screenplay on first down, it's like, what are you guys doing? You know, but uh, uh, kudos. I think the, the committee got it right. I think we're going to have a great game. Um, we'll see. I think well, I think Michigan's uh, defense is, is going to be the best defense they've faced all year. Look what they did to Alabama and the speed of those guys up front. I think they're going to give Penix fits. Uh, there's enough tape out now on Washington's receivers. I think Michigan's going to give them a, a game. We'll see what happens. Uh, go Blue. We'll see what happens. Bruce in Portland saying no. His duck allegiance will not allow him to root for the rival. I don't know. I mean, there's a, um, you know, maybe that's how it comes down, you know, as we debate this. If you're a diehard, you know, green glasses on Oregon fan, you just can't find it in yourself to root for Washington. But the peripheral sports fan, I think, is going to approach it differently. It's why, like, you know, my kids last night were excited to see a team from the Pacific Northwest. Like, my 9-year-old was excited. The 7-year-old was excited. Anna was going, hey, I'll root for them. That's, that's good for our region. Maybe the peripheral sports fan sees it a little different. I don't know. You tell me. Jerry's in Clackamas. Jerry, welcome to the conversation. Thanks. Happy New Year, John. Hey, I, I'm gonna, I am a hardcore Beaver fan, but I'm going to root for... Washington, no doubt about it. How can you not respect what uh, Penix is able to do? And I can root for the Pac-12 as what's left of it on their parting, uh, you know, hurrah as well, as long as I can still be sickened by listening to Klapkoff's drivel on uh, trying to save his, uh, you know, legacy somehow by saying he's sad to see all this stuff. Well, he didn't have the leadership to make it not happen, so skip that part. But anyway, uh, you know, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I, I've got to pull for the uh, for the Huskies, and uh, yeah, I I just uh, think it's uh, would be great for the Pac-12 and some of those close games. By the way, uh, you know, the SEC folks uh, and, and back where football such a religion because there's not as much different stuff they do. I guess I don't know <laughs> stuff to do, yeah. but. Uh, you know, I, I think that when, when we have that uh, uh, ability to do a bunch of other stuff, but they haven't seen how some of these other teams were good. The Beavers were uh, had a good defense, and that was only like a, what, a two-point game? Yeah, it was a two-point so, game. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I yeah. just got to root for uh, that kind of a uh, – I mean, Penix was like 85% completion at one point during the stretch of that game. How can yeah, you he, not look yeah. at that and just go, holy he completed moly. He completed 12 straight passes at one point. He was 19 out of 20 during one stretch. He throws for 430 yards. It's evident to me that, you know, Washington, of course, is more than just one player. He's got great receivers. He's got three receivers that are going to play in the NFL. He's got uh, a defense that is opportunistic and a defensive backfield. And I thought the final play of the game was a great example of this. Uh, you know, you got a defensive back that, that Oregon in particular picked on in the two games. And you got a defensive back who makes the play of the game by swatting away the Quinn. As Texas is lining up, I'm thinking to myself how fortunate it is for Washington that Michael Penix Jr. isn't over on the Texas side throwing that pass. Because if it is, does anybody believe that Texas doesn't score? Like if you give Penix four cracks at the end zone, he's going to score. And he's going to make throws, and I think part of why he's successful is he's not a normal college quarterback. He's going to make NFL-type throws. He's making throws that guys in the NFL in year two and year three are making. 
and and not every NFL quarterback can make the kind of throw that Michael Penix Jr. makes. Like he is a special. And I have to think NFL general managers are watching that game going, gosh, look at the way he dropped the ball over the shoulder of his receiver in stride. 43-yard 43 43-yard 43 pass that turned into a 77-yard play. Like, that's a special throw that Michael Penix Jr. is making. And at the end of the game, Ken, Quinn Ewers is lined up to try trying to beat Washington, and I'm like, they got the wrong guy at quarterback. And it's kind of why the transfer portal – becomes so important, right? Like Oregon getting into the portal, Dylan Gabriel coming from Oklahoma. Oregon has sort of established that it's going to get into the portal and it's going to poach the best available quarterback in the transfer portal. And that's, you know, maybe they'll develop a guy one day, but that's kind of what Oregon's doing right now in this era, Dan Lanning era of football. And it and, and Kalen DeBoer did the same thing. He got Michael Penix Jr. in the portal from Indiana. Like he knew him. And they had familiarity with each other, but he got him from Indiana and, and said, okay, we're going to bring you to a place where you can win. Like, it just underscores that last sequence from Texas underscores the importance of the portal in a quarterback. Because if you have a Michael Penix Jr. or a Bo Nix or a Jaden Daniels or a Caleb Williams or a Cam Rising, I'm giving you all transfers, right? You've got an opportunity there to, uh, to really make hey in that situation and uh, i think quinn ewer is just not the passer that michael Penix jr is cam is in eugene listening on fox sports eugene cam how you how you doing happy new year happy new year john uh thanks for taking the call i don't consider myself to be a casual ducks fan that said it's go dogs or huskies or whatever you call them for the rest of the way out i liken it to a tournament feel we were trying to play our way in and they beat us twice fair and square uh, so I don't hold any animosity to them. It's about it's about the Pac-12 getting that that one final championship trophy for the Conference of Champions before it you know goes off into the sunset. And I, I don't I, maybe I look at it differently than a lot of people. To me, I look at Washington winning. and I think great if we can beat them next season. That's going to be twice as fun at that point. Pride cometh before the fall. So go Pac-12. And uh, go Huskies, and, and I think they're going to do it. I saw three teams yesterday with a ton of parity, uh, yeah. Alabama, Michigan, and, uh, and Texas. They're all very similar in you know, just watching them play and the talent and where the talent was. And then you look at Washington, they got those three wide receivers, and they got Michael Penix, who might, might have less talent at receiver next year in the NFL, potentially. Right. You're right. And, and yeah, the, that's the, the depth he's difference. got is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And look, I I kind of agree. I tend to agree with the caller that that it it validates Oregon, right? Oregon lost by three twice. You know, I I was watching the Sugar Bowl and watching Texas, and I said, "Gosh, I think Oregon could beat Texas." And you look at look back at the last month of football for Washington, okay, or at least the last five or six games. It's a three-point win over Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. It's a three-point win in the Apple Cup. It's a two-point win in the driving reign of Corvallis against Oregon State. You go back into the season, there was a there was a back-and-forth game with USC that Washington won. There was a, uh, a, a tough game against Arizona State that was ridiculously tough in October that, that Washington won. There was the three-point win at Husky Stadium over Oregon. There was, uh, you know, beating Arizona in late September. Like, there was a lot that tested Washington that I thought helped Washington when the chips were down last night. 
And I kind of wonder as you look around college football, like, you know, you know, that kind of battle testing throughout the course of a season in a good conference, it does something for your team. And I think Washington plays with confidence that, that other teams just simply don't have. 14-0, and 21 wins in a row. That'll do it for you. Meredith is in Portland. Meredith, how you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, John. Thanks for taking the call. You bet. I am a duck, a diehard duck fan. I am an alumni, and I was rooting all the way to Washington last night. There is no reason not to support the Pacific Northwest, and as much as I wish it had been us, it wasn't, and I can't imagine rooting for Michigan. Yeah, and, and Jim Harbaugh, come on, no, who's yep. going to do that? Like, let's, have, kinda, let's have the good guys win, and I, I'm saying yeah. that as a Duck fan. <laughs> it it, so. it kind of, I, I love the scenery. Thank you, Meredith, for the call. I love the scenery in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, the pageantry, the ghost of Keith Jackson, all of that, and then I'm looking at this SEC team coached by Nick Saban. Nobody wants to see Alabama win it again, and I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh, sign-stealing, just sort of the aura around Harbaugh. It's kind of obnoxious after you start to be around it a little bit and and read about him and listen to him in the post game and 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 I thought, gosh, there's just you know the winner of the Texas Washington game was going to have the rest of America rooting for it anyway. And now I think this story of Michael Penix Jr. Washington, the Pac-12. We all know Washington is not an underdog program by Pac-12 standards. But we have the Pacific time zone in in the national championship game in the NCAA tournament because of San Diego State. And we have now the Pacific time zone in the college football playoff championship because of Washington. I'll take that. But where do you and where do your rooting interests lie? 503-417-7575. You tell me. I do sort of think the rest of the country is going to get on the bandwagon. I think they are going to support Washington because I, I just don't I don't see a lot of empathy for Jim Harbaugh and the brand of Michigan and all of that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, maybe uh, any, people end up rooting for Michigan. Maybe there are a lot of there of course there are a lot of Michigan fans out there. But uh, I'm looking at this game and I'm looking at Michael Penix Jr. and you know frankly the spread opens Michigan's a four and a half point favorite. Uh, the Huskies are plus 155 on the money line. The over-under is 55 and a half. I do think this game is going to be played like 31-28, 30-27, uh, 29-27. I'm, I'm over on all three of those numbers. Steven, how do you see the game going? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, right? And I think... The way that Michigan played, it wasn't very impressive. Where then when you watch the way Washington played and you come away with Washington was impressive in that game. And so I, I think my, your initial instinct for me would be, yeah, Washington's going to be able to throw the football in Michigan. But I I, I think I'm going to – I think Michigan's win this game. I think Michigan wins this game. And it was more because I was not impressed with Alabama. And Alabama looked really bad. And I, Michigan shot themselves in the foot so many times. I mean, first play of the game, McCarthy throws the pick. It gets called back. They just looked out of sorts. They had a couple of the, you know, the fumbles on the punt, the missed uh, extra point, missed field goal. I think they had a little bit of jitters got them in the first game. I think they'll be fine in game two. And what I'm afraid of, John, is that Harbaugh is going to go back to his Stanford days. David Shaw days back at Stanford mm-hmm. when they played Oregon, and they ran the football on the Ducks every single play. 
and they kept that high-powered offense off the field. They slowed it down. They shortened the possessions. They shortened the game, and they just ran down their throats Mm. and won in Stanford. I could see that happening in this game between Michigan and Washington because Texas had a lot of success on the ground against that Washington defense, and then they wanted to throw the football. It didn't work. They also shot themselves in the foot with some false starts that put them behind behind the, the, uh, the sticks. So I think in Michigan, you know, they don't shoot themselves in the foot. They don't get some false starts. They can maybe just run this football on Washington a lot, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on that Washington offense to score every single time they're on the field. I, I, I like Michigan in this game. It's going to be a close mm. one, but I do like Michigan in it. I like Washington. I just I think I thought it was a gift when last night when I saw four and a half points. I expect that that spread may grow too as kickoff approaches, and I I just think Washington's got the best player. But let's see how it plays out. I think you're exactly right that that you know Jim Harbaugh. You can look back to the Oregon. Stanford games of yesteryear. They were 17-14, 26-20. But there were some higher-scoring games as well in there. There was uh, you know, a 52-31 and a 51-42, albeit you have some Andrew Luck involvement in uh, Jim Harbaugh's scheme. But I think, um, you know, as much as Michigan will want to run the ball, that's fine. But I just think Penix and those receivers, I I just can't see Michigan stopping them. And there was a point of the Alabama-Michigan game where I'm watching Alabama on offense, and I'm going, gosh, if they only had a little better passer. Like, they didn't need Michael Penix. But if they had a little better passer at quarterback, I think Alabama wins that game, and I think they win it, you know, kind of easily. But let's see how it plays out. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Tamara's in Wilsonville. Tamara, welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you so much. Um, We've had uh, both Oregon State and Duck folks in our family attend both schools, so we're avid Duck and Beaver fans, but I think I'm going to wholeheartedly support the Huskies in their next game uh, with Michigan. I think it's fabulous. The East Coast conferences never pay any attention to those out here on the West Coast, like they never exist. So I'm really looking for that big stage and and will support the Huskies. But I have a question Yep. that really have not heard anybody really discuss yet, that uh, the last possession that the Huskies had in this in the game on Sunday where they, I know they were trying to run the clock down and they didn't yeah. anticipate that one of their own players was going to get injured to stop the clock, but it just seemed like they didn't really try to even get a first down to be able to run the clock that way and then take a kneel. They, I thought... I don't know what that strategy was on their last possession to seem to give so much time, um, you know, to to the other teams that so that they could score. I I was really quite upset about that. Texas could have, I think, easily scored if it had just gone if our defense, you know, wasn't there in time. So. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at that last drive. All right, so Washington takes over. There's a minute nine on the clock. And, um, you know, and they're up 37-31, and they're on their own 35-yard line. Or, excuse me, they start they start that drive on the 44 because uh, onside kick. So they start at the 44-yard line. There's a minute six when the first play ends. Texas calls timeout. So Dylan Johnson runs timeout Texas, minute six on the clock. Okay, then handoff on uh, second and eight. Dylan goes up the middle again, gain of three yards, timeout again. So now you're at a minute two. You've only run seven seconds off the clock, and you're at third and five. Um, you know, there you go. 
And here came the problem. Uh, you run a play there, and they ran Dylan up the up the middle, Dylan Johnson up the middle again, no gain, to the Texas 39, and he got hurt on the play. Now, that also stops the clock. So that's unfortunate that the clock gets stopped there because if you don't have a clock stoppage there, um, you probably run off uh, another at least uh, thir- maybe 25 seconds. But because he is um, he is uh, injured on the play, Texas takes over with 45 seconds instead of maybe 20 seconds, 25 seconds. Should he on third and five have had Michael Penix Jr. in the shotgun take the snap, run around for two seconds and take a knee, Stephen? D- should you throw the ball there? Do they do the right thing by running Dylan Johnson? He gets hurt. The clock stops automatically. That almost cost Washington. Yeah, I mean, hindsight, twenty twenty. But I, I think with stuff that's happened this year, you know, going back to the Cristobal thing and the Miami fumbles when they could have just kneeled the clock, I, I've kind of changed my mind on this. I, I didn't mind. I don't mind teams running for it, and going for the first down if you get it in the game. But I'm kind of with you right here. Like I feel like you kind of just run around in the backfield. You take a knee. Less things can happen because that was literally the only thing that could happen was a fumble or somebody gets hurt for Washington to give Texas a chance. And then you compound that with you know the kick or the punt and interference call that was on the very next play on the punt. That was the only way Texas had a chance was if they somehow got an extra timeout. And so the injury really kept Texas in the ball game when it shouldn't have been. It should have been over you know 15 seconds. Got to go the length of the field. Just punt it out of the back of the end zone. Doesn't matter. No timeouts. They're not going 80 yards in 15 seconds. So. I've kind of changed my mind on this. I used to think, yeah, go for it. Go for the win. Get the first down. Then it's over easily. I've seen too many bad things happen in big-time spots. I feel like just taking a knee, that's the best way to go now in this situation. Just make a team go 80 yards or block a punt to win a game. I think that's a lot less likely now than what has happened. I mean, if you get the first down, you're third and five. You get the first down, the game's over. But I also think Texas knows you're running the ball. They loaded up the box on second down and third down, and you ran Johnson twice in a row. You got a yard and a half average on those two plays. You're probably not going to get the first down. I think you have to look at the clock there. And I, I, I was a little surprised that he didn't have Penix take a snap. And, you know, it, you're going to punt anyway. It's a short field anyway. I just kind of wondered if Penix might take the ball and run five or seven yards backwards and kind of play like he's playing Tecmo Bowl and run around for three seconds and then take a knee because you really would have left Texas about 12 or 13 seconds had you done that. And I was going to say, yeah, and now because, you know, I, I, what's more likely is an injury or a fumble or a team to block a punt. I feel like it's much easier just to be able to block that one play and kick the ball off than a team looking to who's, who's going to be punching up the ball, who's going to be trying to injure someone, trying to get that extra seconds off the clock. I, I just... I don't know. I think I've fully changed my mind on this, and you need to be taking knees at the end of the game, even if it doesn't run the entire clock out. Jesse's in Klamath Falls. Jesse, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how's it going? Um, I got uh, a text thread with my two best friends and I, and two of us are Ducks and one's a Husky. And let me just say that text thread throughout the season has been what my kids would call totally lit. Um, It has been wild in that text thread off and on for obvious reasons so yesterday we're all going back and forth during the game and it's like the two ducks are like chastising each other for having any sound of cheering for washington at any certain point but yet 
we're both actually kind of like our hearts are pulling for Washington, even though our sports morals are telling us absolutely freaking not. And that's kind of where I am is that what's best for me as a fan of the Ducks and like all the history of the Pac-12 and what we've been through with Washington, it's good for us for Washington to win. But everything else about it for me is like I cannot deal with Washington reminding us that an undefeated national championship and beating us twice in the same season was how they got there. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. But my heart is going to be UW, and I don't know how to avoid that either. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're in a uh, precarious position. But don't look at it as a lose-lose. Look at it as a win-win, right? If you spin it positive, look at the upside uh, of the game, you have a chance to uh, look at it a little differently. Um, you know, I heard somebody say yesterday, gosh, if Washington wins the thing, if they win it all, does that mean that Oregon lost the national championship game twice by three points each time? I actually don't think Oregon, if they had won the Pac-12 championship game, even narrowly won the game, not a convincing win, not a 45-7 win, but if they had somehow found a way to win that Pac-12 championship game by two points or a field goal or one point, I think the committee was was going to leave Oregon out. I think Oregon was going to end up being in Florida State's position. I think Texas, Alabama... Michigan and Florida State uh, get into the playoff. I, I think one loss Oregon would have would have had a, a strike against it. But I think if Oregon wins the game at Husky Stadium, and Oregon's the undefeated team, and you know, I do, I do think Oregon would have beat Texas. I think Oregon. I I frankly I have not been impressed with Michigan this year, and I don't know if it's because I don't like the style of play. I it, or maybe I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh and he's shading everything for me. But when I watch Michigan play, I don't enjoy watching their games. I they're station to station. They look like the old Big Ten teams that I covered for years and and covered as a beat reporter in the late nineties. And I look at um, I look at the style of play and I go, gosh, man, it's it's throwback. Like I almost want their games to be in black and white. Uh, let's go to Sean and Sandy. Sean, how are you seeing this one? I like the old throw style back of play, John. And uh, you know, I'm gonna root for the. Huskies, and I always root for my conference. I root for teams, and I root for the schools. And I think these uh, playoffs have been lame. I, I think it's bad for football. Would have been a lot better the other way around. We would have rather seen uh, Texas beat Alabama. That's a lot better crowd. A lot more people to watch this. Uh, this this championship don't even turn the needle. Uh, nobody wants to see uh, Harbaugh. Nobody wants to see Michigan win, and uh, Washington, that don't turn the needle in the country. You know, and then the rest of it, like, football country is like uh, the Bible Belt, John. You know that. And, I also, uh, here's another yeah. thing, Sean. I, I, you know, all year long, what did we cover last year? We were talking a lot about the Pac-12's media rights and why ESPN and Fox, CBS to a certain extent, didn't see the value of the Pac-12 conference. We now know the value is there. We know that Arizona was good. We know that Oregon was good. We know that Oregon State was good. We know that Washington State, Colorado brought eyeballs to the early part of the season. We now know that there was a you know, potential national champion in the conference. And I know George Klyovkov gave that quote to Ross Dellinger of Yahoo after the game where he was like, you know, 
You know, if our if only we had been more patient, like, you know, it's nonsense. You gotta get out and you gotta sell that. You gotta create that narrative. But damn, it's such an indictment of what happened to the Pac twelve, the fact that Washington is in the title game. Uh Sam is in Portland. Sam, welcome to the conversation. Sean, happy new year. A- am I early enough this year? You're early. That's good. <laughs> Last year it was like the the yeah. tenth or something. Yeah, you're you're yeah. happy new year. <laughs> yeah. I think, listen, uh, I think it's a great championship game, and I do think having Washington there is is fantastic. And, and I think when it comes down to, I'm tired of hearing about Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. Listen, Oregon got beat twice by Washington. They had two separate chances to beat them. And if they had beat them, it, there's no guarantee they'd be where Washington is. I think if you look at DeBoer's record and his coaching record, and you look at the history, he's won, what, three national championships in the lower level? He's just a winner, and he finds a way to win. So I, I think at the end of this, I think Washington and the coaching staff and Odunze and Penix, those guys are just, they've been great all year long. I think they're going to uh, find a way to edge out, and, and uh, DeBoer's going to outcoach Harbaugh, believe it or not. And I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be great for the, the former Pac-12, but... Let's stop talking about Oregon. This is Washington. I'm a Beaver fan. I'm rooting for Washington. I'm rooting for the Pac-12. And I think no matter what you're rooting for, it's going to come down to coaching. And I think DeBoer's got the uh, the, the head on this, uh, the lead. What do you think, John? Who yeah, do you think I, better coach? Uh, gosh, it's hard to say with Jim Harbaugh and what he's done at Michigan that there's a distinct advantage. But I think Washington's got the best player. And I think when you look at their receiving core, you look at Adunze, you look at Polk, McMillan, Look at the tight end, Westover. You know, Dylan Johnson. Do we know if he's healthy or not? I, Stephen, do we have an update on Johnson's health? Uh, there's been no update. I've been looking yeah. at it. There's nothing out there. Uh, you know, there's been there's a do- Twitter on do- Twitter doctors uh, doctor on Twitter right. that's pretty good at it. Uh, he said it looked like an ankle injury, but it's hard to tell because he's had so many foot problems this season. Could be a foot injury, but no, no, no real update. Yeah, I'm not going to a Twitter doctor, but uh, <laughs> I, I, do. I Johnson's such an important player for them, but. I still kind of think, you know, Washington's got that core group of Penix and those receivers, and nothing against Quinn Ewers, all right? He threw for 300 yards in the game. But he's not Michael Penix Jr., and Michigan doesn't have a Michael Penix Jr., and so I think that the pressure is going to be on Michigan. Can do they can they score in this game? Not only can they hold the ball, but can they get sevens at the end? Uh, I do think it's going to be a great game. We'll find out what happens. More thoughts coming up. Plus, on today's show, uh, in the 4 o'clock hour, Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State, Men's basketball coach will be joining us. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Dana Altman, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. Leave it here. you got the BFT. Well, Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies are one win away from a national championship. They are undefeated, 14-0. Wrap your head around that for a second. 14-0, the way they played this season, the way they won games. Frankly, uh, it's a great story. And I couldn't help but think during the Sugar Bowl as they were late in the game, you know, battling Texas to the wire in a close game. I couldn't help but think of how the Pac-12 conference as a whole really helped fortify Washington for that moment. I mean, really, think about it. Think about Washington having to beat Arizona in September. Think about Washington in that first game against Oregon in Week 7 having to uh, outlast the Ducks at Husky Stadium. 
Think about the Apple Cup being a three-point victory for Washington. Think about how tough Arizona State, Kenny Dillingham's team, played Washington. Think about the back-and-forth game Washington had against USC. Think about that second matchup with Oregon in the in the Pac-12 championship game. Like, Washington won all of those close games, and people like to trot it out and say, oh, look at how many consecutive games by fewer than 10 points the Huskies won. But I, I, I was watching the end of the game and thinking, gosh, Washington has been in this position all season long. They've been in close games. They've got the best player on the field. They know how to win games in a variety of ways. And frankly, you could argue they won the game both on offense with Michael Penix Jr. and on defense with the defense making that stand at the end of the game against Texas that was remarkable. But Washington had been in that position a number of times throughout the season. And it gets me thinking about how good the Pac-12 conference was in this so-called final year of existence. The Conference of Champions, didn't it really deliver? Like, not only did it put Washington in the national championship game against Michigan, but it gave us a really good Oregon team that could make a case that it was playoff worthy by virtue of how close it played Washington this season. It gave us Oregon State. It gave us Colorado and Washington State early part of the year. Great momentum. It gave us an amazing story in Tucson with Jed Fish in Arizona turning their season around. It gave us a rebuild story in Palo Alto with Stanford and Cal and Caleb Williams, the defending Heisman Trophy winner, trying to you know keep USC on the field even though they didn't have any defense and keep them relevant and, and worthy. And I just look at the way that those teams played and I look at how good this conference was this last season, and I'm left feeling a little flat about how the media rights negotiations went. I'm not buying this nonsense that, you know, with a little more patience, it all would have worked out. See, you know, would have been a, everyone would have been able to see the value of Oregon and Washington and see the value of, uh, you know, Colorado and Arizona in this uprising that's happening. And, you know, if it was just a year, television would have bought in on it. No, 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 no. I think TV got what it wanted. It parted out the Pac-12 conference, right? It, it, it disintegrated it, then it picked over it and said, we'll take that media market and that media market. And so I think TV got what it wanted in the end. But I'm left thinking about the conference as a whole, a 108-year-old conference. It's a shame that this is the last year that it will exist in its present form. And I'm hopeful, like a lot of people, that the Pac-12 can be put back together again someday. But I got sick and tired in the last five or six or seven years of seeing the Pacific time zone left out of the college football playoff national championship picture, certainly in the, in the playoff in general, it just, you could have lopped off everything West of the Rocky mountains and said, okay, that doesn't matter in the postseason in major college football. Well, Washington has made that uh, different this season. They do matter. They have mattered. They will matter. They may win the national championship game. Heck, they got the best player. I'm picking the Huskies to beat Michigan. But amid that, I'm framing it like from a conference standpoint and looking at the Pac-12 and thinking, gosh, this was a really good conference this season. It had great players. It had great teams. It had great coaching. Fan bases were remarkable. This conference deserved better than what it got. Now, I think Washington's going to get a lot of people in the Pacific time zone and the, in the Pac-12 footprint who will root for it. Not because just because it's a Pac-12 team, but because I think people in, that, in this part of the country have felt 
alienated by the college football playoff over the years. Oregon made the national championship game in 2015. You know, Washington played against Alabama in a semifinal, but outside of those two appearances, you know, the fans in the Pacific time zone have been left out of this thing. San Diego State gets to the national title game in the men's NCAA tournament. It injected some enthusiasm and some interest from the western part of the United States in the tournament. It's part of the beauty of the NCAA tournament. Finally, in its last year, this blasted four-team invitational has given us a team in the Pacific time zone again competing for a national championship. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I think Washington and Michael Penix Jr. will win the thing, but I also am left feeling a little flat about how the Pac-12, you know, sort of is going out. Is it going out with a bang or a whimper? I don't know, but I think it deserved better. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Uh, let's jump on it right now. Uh, Stephen, I uh, I am uh, thinking a lot about your pick of Michigan. I'm going to hold you to it. Mark in Portland. Mark, who do you like in the national title game? It doesn't matter who I like. I'm just going to bet on Washington on the money line. I'm just staying the course because as a Duck fan, I don't really want to watch the Huskies winning the national championship a part of me, but paying it forward makes it a lot easier. They were 3-1 to one to win outright against Oregon. They were four-point underdogs against Texas, and now they're underdog again. I am worried about uh, their running back because you can't be one-dimensional against a team like Michigan. they got to show that they can run the football. And Michael Penix Jr. is the best player. And, John, you touched on the Pac-12 this year. I think they played five ranked teams in these bowl games, and they won four of them. The one they lost was to Oregon State lost to Notre Dame, but Oregon won in record fashion. They did what they were supposed to, and so, yeah, it was a great year, and it's really it's really sad to see it go. But I'll tell you, the guy that called and said these playoffs are, are going to ruin college football, they're going to increase the audience by twice as much. These bowl games, have most of them have met Yeah, we got to go, nothing. Mark, but we got to go, but I appreciate that call. Leave it here. Wayne Tinkle next. I haven't had a chance to talk about the Pac-2 or Pac-12, whatever we want to call Oregon State and Washington State essentially getting a major victory in the settlement that they uh, came to an agreement with with the departing 10 schools. I've been off on vacation since that settlement happened. $190 million in future assets. NCAA tournament unit revenue, college football playoff payouts, Rose Bowl equivalency funds, $190 million there, plus another $65 million the 10 departing schools are going to pay to Oregon State and Washington State in the next two years. $6.5 million per school. So $255 million Oregon State and Washington State will be able to live off and potentially rebuild the Pac-12 conference. I think they'll wait and see what happens with football. But um, I, I think Oregon State and Washington State probably were anxious right around Thanksgiving, feeling better right around Christmas. Also feeling better at Oregon State in basketball. Wayne Tinkle and the Beavers. A uh, convincing win on Saturday at home against USC. And probably should have beat UCLA on Thursday. Had them at halftime, let it get away. But a good week nonetheless last week for Oregon State men's basketball. Beavers are 9-4. and four. Here to talk about it, Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State men's basketball coach. How you doing? Doing great. Happy New Year, buddy. It's good to be Happy, with you. 
do you have a New Year's resolution? Are you a resolution guy? Uh, you know, at this stage, uh, you know, you, you make so many and you probably fail on three quarters of them or more. But uh, I did just say, I just, you know, it's always language around our guys and, you know, treating, treating, always can treat your wife a little bit better, right? Have a little more yeah. compassion, especially, especially during the season when we kind of shut down to the rest of the world. So there you go. All right, I'm going to throw something at you, and maybe you can use this with your team. My my wife did this, and it's 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 been contagious in our extended family. She said that she wanted everybody to pick a word for the year, one word, and it really really makes you think about what you need to do better, what you need to you know what what's important to you, and and so her word is simplify. My word is folk. My word is focus. Does Wayne Tinkle have a word for 2024, or do you want to wait and think about it? No, that's that's great because you know a lot of times coaching staffs will talk about that going into a season. And I, you know, I, I think back to truth, trust, family. Uh, you know, with with this group, um, we've really really stressed here of late, especially selfless. Um, so if I'm thinking with our team, selfless. Uh, me as an individual, uh, gosh, simplifies a good one. She hit it on the head there because there's so much stuff going on that we can create a lot of our own mess by letting our minds become boggled down. And if you just keep things like one of the coaches I first worked for always used the kiss term for keep it yeah. simple, stupid. <laughs> and, and, uh, so if it, in lieu of, um, in light of maybe plagiarizing, and uh, it simplifies a no, good one. Take it, take it. I, I don't think that's original yeah. anyway. Hey, so last week you get the split. You, you had a big, you had a lead on UCLA at half. Didn't work out on Thursday. You guys came back on Saturday, beat USC. How'd you feel about the week? Yeah, really, really proud of the way we we responded Saturday. Uh, you know, we knew UCLA was coming in a little bit of a wounded animal. Hadn't lost four in a row. Um, you know, I'm sure Mick spent, uh, you know, time getting after him uh, when they got back after break. We thought they would come out to start the game like they did the second half, but uh, our guys kind of stood toe-to-toe and set the tone early. Um, I, I really felt like we let a couple of things slip away at the end of the first half. We were up nine and then only went into the break up four. Um, and then I just think a little bit of panic set in the second half. But um, the way they bounced back and approached film and practiced on Friday, uh, again, now you've got what I think is one of the more talented teams in USC coming in after a loss down south the night before. Um, we jumped them. You know, we got off to a great start. We kind of put the pedal to the metal and, and didn't let up, but maybe one or two times in the second half. Said a lot about the growth of this team, the resiliency. Um, that I, I, you know, people made fun of us squeaking out some games against teams that, on paper, we we were supposed to bury maybe uh, in the non-league. But I think it really helped us develop some resiliency, uh, a little level of relentlessness that I think we saw Saturday, and hopefully we'll continue to see moving forward. You know, it's the same criticism that people made about the Washington football team. Like, you know, they were, you know, people said they were playing down to the level of their competition, but they were finding ways to win those games. And I kind of think that helped them last night as they found themselves late against Texas in a one-score game. They've been there all year long in one-score games. Um, what do you like? What do you like right now about your team? You know, you're always trying to get you ready to play your best basketball at the end of the year. But what do you like right now? What I like is that we've had a pretty good balance of inside and out play. Now, our bigs have been a little bit inconsistent, but 
there have been threats where, you know, last year we maybe didn't have what we needed, especially when Shoal went down in early December, uh, and we were pretty guard-oriented, even though Retai and Bilodeau had solid years for us. I think across the board we have more balance now, and if you want to try to pressure us out on the perimeter, we can throw it into a Beckway, Shoal, Bilodeau, Retai. Uh, you know, you, you try to double-team them. They've become good passers. We're shooting it well the last five games. We started it out. I mean, we were shooting, I think, 26%, 27% from three after the first five or six games. But our guards have really trusted throwing it in. We, we've been pressing that from day one. We've got to have balance. You've got to throw it in there. You know, whether they're producing right now, we'll need it over the long haul. So the confidence of having that threat inside has taken some of the pressure off on the perimeter. We're executing offense better now, at least for longer stretches. Uh, and, and as a result, the last five games, we're shooting, I think, 42% from three. Um, our turnovers went down until the other night. We were throwing it all over the gym against USC, but they kind of forced that. Um, but our, our numbers on the glass, all of them have improved uh, since these guys have really bought into playing inside out and, and, and you know, really have, enjoying that balance and, and appreciating what it means to our chances to have success. We're talking to Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State men's basketball coach. Uh, you know, you you'll play at Washington State in Washington on that on that road uh, trip uh, this week. I think everybody expected Jordan Pope to play well. You're getting you know got 20 out of him on on Saturday against USC, but it's some of the other guys that we haven't heard a lot about. Can you tell us more about Dexter Acano and and some of the other contributors? For sure, Dexter. You know, he's he's in his third year with us and. I want to say he fought us, but he wanted to kind of do things his way. Uh, you know, so many of these workout guys now want you to, you know, isolation ball in the summertime, and you want to show your wares. But you get to our level, I, I mean, it's a team game here. And, um, you know, it's not quick decision, 24-second shot clock, NBA. And quite frankly, none of our guys, if they make it to the NBA, are going to be guys that they're isolating against LeBron out, out of the wing. But he's really, Dexter's really bought into the team concept. And as a result, he's so much more efficient. He had 18 points against USC on eight shots. That's pretty dang efficient. Uh, he's been a real vocal leader with Jordan Pope and some of those young guards, Josiah Lake, Christian Wright. Um, he's, been, he's been an everyday guy. But just his maturation of understanding team concept, that getting the ball out of your hands as a scorer, isn't always bad. You learn how to score without the ball in your hands, cutting, screening, that sort of thing, spacing. Um, it, it's just I think he's grown by leaps and bounds with his leadership. He's really bought into uh, what it's going to take for us to have success. Because Remember, Dexter's first year was that horrendous year two years ago when, when we just coming out of COVID. You know, I think the success we had the year before, bringing in new guys, there was a clash. Uh, and I did a horrible job of squashing that and getting those guys to play together first time in, in all my years we didn't get a team to do that and so I think some of the residue from that now the next year Dexter's thrown in a leadership position with a bunch of young guys now he's come out on the other end where he's starting to see the light and as a result boy his, his efficiency's gone way up his percentages from three his decision making turnovers are going down uh and, and I'm really proud of him for that and I think some of the other guys like Pope, Pope's gone through some things early this year where maybe he showed some immaturity 
throwing his hands in the air, maybe when a teammate didn't catch a pass or complaining to the refs when he wasn't getting calls. And we had to remind him, man, you're, you're not a fourth year, you know, three time all big, or oh, I'm sorry, all Pac 12 guy and just keep playing. And I think he's shown some maturity here the last couple of weeks as well. Josiah Lake, um, you know, we knew this kid had a heart. We knew that he would not be afraid to play at this level. And he's been a real solid punch for us off the bench. Uh, just makes hustle plays. Plays the right way, you know, JC. He just he plays for the name on the front of our chest. Doesn't care what, what it takes. He just wants the Beavers to win. And and that's starting to spread now, and, and it's a process. You and I talked, I think, the beginning of last year about, hey, we're committing to a young group. We're going to get it back when we – when we have our kind of guys across the board, we've proved, proven that we can win and have success. It's going to take a little time. And I think, you know, we're still got a ways to go. You know, we're, after the split, we feel good, but we, we can play better. Um, but we sure love the direction that we're headed and, and the guys that we're doing it with. Yeah, you can kind of feel that the culture issue you had two years ago has shifted. And I'm curious, like, how intentional did you have to be about messaging and, frankly, about saying we're going to get in the portal and we're going to recruit kids and recruit kids outside of the portal, even for the freshmen that you brought in. Uh, we're going to recruit kids that fit a, a certain culture because I think, you know, the pandemic, you were recruiting on Zoom and, you know, you, yes. you, you can't really – you don't get a feel for a kid through Zoom. No, you're exactly right. And, and you know, you also – you add to the dynamics of bringing back a group from that Elite Eight run that were were a piece of it, but weren't the instrumental pieces. And then all these new guys that are excited about the hype, and you've got a power struggle that you know we just we, we couldn't wrap our hands around. And and so after that, we're like, okay, we've got to get back. And and we were forced to remember three kids left our team after that Elite Eight run. They went in the portal. They wanted to go down uh, to a little lower level and have a bigger role. And, and we couldn't recruit on or off campus. So we were stuck a little bit, but we, we just, you know, we couldn't bring that group together. Uh, we all know it was horrendous. The neat thing was, you know, I went to Scott Barnes, went to our administration and said, we're going we're gonna to go to the high school kids. We're going to get the kind of guys that understand what it's like to play for Oregon State, putting the team first, uh, get, you know, any, any of these individual things. And, and, and now listen, NIL starting to become rampant. So, you know, well, let's get back to what, you know, we know works here at Oregon State and fits our style. And and we knew last year was going to be a challenge, but we knew it was also going to be evident that we were getting our culture back. Our, you know, our fan base was excited about this young group. And then we were able to keep them heading in with all the temptation out there to transfer, go play somewhere for more money. We were able to keep the core group together, add to it. Um, and I think we're starting to see some of the rewards, even though we still have a ways to go. Wayne Tinkle with us, Oregon State men's basketball coach. Beavers this week on the road. They'll be at Washington State on Thursday and at Washington on Saturday. What do you see in those two programs as you scout ahead? Well, Washington State, Kyle's done a great job, you know, and he, he lost some players. Um, he was able to kind of dip in the portal, get some more mature kids. He's got a couple of young studs. Uh, nice methodical style. They run their stuff. They don't beat themselves very often. And then his schedule – you know, he and I talked about a month ago, they, they started off with eight of their first nine or nine of their first ten were, were virtually home games. I think he had one neutral site game against Santa Clara. So he was able to really build some chemistry and some confidence with that schedule. 
Um, but they were tested. You know, they went on the road and uh, played Utah tough for about 34, 35 minutes. Uh, went to Colorado, even though Colorado was beat up. They had uh, the Silva was out and Williams, their stud freshman, um, played played them close. Uh, so I know they're you know they're a little bit wounded coming home. Um, they, they they've like I said have confidence playing in Pullman. Um, so we we ex- we expect them to to be confident. But um, you know our guys after the the USC performance. Uh, obviously, um, you know, have a good feeling in their tummies. But, you know, one thing we haven't been able to do uh, the last year and, and then, you know, the few games we played on the road early uh, is is play the way we have at home out on the road. And so we've already talked to our team about, okay, this is the next step uh, in our progress here is playing the way we do here at Gill and taking that kind of confidence out on the road. And so uh, I'm looking forward to the test. But, um, Washington State's going to be tough. Students aren't in yet, but they've been drawn fairly well. Uh, and then Washington, again, they they had a nice non-league, they had some success. I think their net ranking was up there before this this past road trip. But they've got a very very talented team. Mike's done a nice job of getting them to play a little more together than years past. So challenging first road trip for us, but uh, I'm excited to see how far we've come. And um, you know, no matter what happens. We're just going to stay, you know, the task at hand and keep grinding, knowing that we're building towards March. I actually think the way, you know, people are knocking the conference, saying, oh, this is a down year, whatnot. But I actually think the way that this season is going benefits a program like yours that, you know, is ready to compete and has guys that will just play hard. What do you see across the conference? Because everyone was saying, hey, it's Arizona and then a big gap, and then here comes Stanford beating Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 nutty. It's just it's a testament to the non-league. All of our schedules are so different in the non-league, and so everybody wants to try to say, "All right, this is the team, that's the team," and then you get into league, boy, you better be careful. And and you just hit it on the head, you know. Uh, I, I looked at Arizona. I watched the Arizona Cal game where they played about as good a half as I've seen this year, uh, up thirty at halftime, and, and then I think they gave up dang near sixty to Cal in the second half. You know, then then they go and, and get beat at Stanford, who gave away a game two nights earlier uh, against Arizona State late. I don't think they Arizona State didn't lead until uh, uh, at all until under a minute to go. Um, it just I, I think there's a lot of talent. Uh, people have different philosophies. You see teams that reload through the portal every year and have success. Um, you see teams that are trying to build continuity, um, but anything can happen when that ball goes in the air and. There's so much talent across the board and across the country. That's why you see mid-majors beating high-majors. Um, you know, and, and now every, there, there are not a lot of secrets now. You get into conference play, everybody scouts the heck out of each other, um, finds weaknesses, exploits them. And, and so I think you're going to see this um, you know, all the way until March. I, obviously, Arizona uh, had a lot of people excited. Now you got to see how they respond. you got some other teams that are licking their wounds. You're going to see how they respond. That's really what it's all about. Then people try to figure it out by mid-February and build momentum heading into March. Dwayne Tinkle with us. All right, finally, before I cut you loose, uh, you got some clarity on where you're going to play next season. And uh, For basketball, this will be Pac-12 this year. You'll see some WCC opponents next year. How, how did that go over with your roster? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel, I feel great. Um, Scott came to me several weeks ago and asked my opinion. Uh, I think uh, as far as men's basketball goes, it, it's a horse piece. You know, you join the Mountain West for a couple of years, 
Uh, you've got Boise, Utah State, San Diego State, Colorado State, uh, you know, the WCC, obviously Gonzaga, St. Mary, San Francisco, and Santa Clara have been really good of late. Um, and, and you had us in Washington State. I think either conference would have been strengthened by that. I like the travel uh, in the West Coast Conference. Uh, I think that's going to be a lot more economical, number one, and, and less draining uh, for the teams that are, are traveling within that conference. Um, and then we'll see. You know, everybody knows that it's a temporary deal. That's going to be real interesting in a couple of years, John, when some of the grant of rights are up in some other conferences. And um, as, as us in Washington State join hands to try to rebuild to see what direction uh, that goes. And I, and I also, a lot of us are talking that, in, and we're already hearing, you know, rumblings that some schools that are leaving the Pac-12 aren't happy. And we'll see if, if maybe in two years out, um, there aren't some looking to come back with us. Wayne Tinkle, I appreciate you. Keep it going this week. Washington State on Thursday, Washington on Saturday. Good luck to you, Coach. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. Yeah, all the best. Thanks. There he is. Happy New Year. He's going to simplify as well. Anna's words simplify. Stephen, do you have a word for 2024? Um, I do like simplify. I was thinking for me, I think discipline for me. Uh, when it comes to gambling, I need to be more disciplined. So. Okay, okay, I like that. I said focus, and I didn't get a lot of positive feedback. I didn't get negative feedback, but I didn't get like a lot of, hey, yeah, that's great, because I think Anna already thinks I'm focused. Like, maybe I need to relax. Maybe well, my do, my word needs to be relaxed. I'll, yeah, I'll say that. I, I would say you come across as very focused. Like, that's if I was just a random person, I would say, oh, yeah, he's a focused guy. So, So maybe I'm just saying that's what I've always done. I'm going to do it again. Make sure you can succeed. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you want to keep your resolution good. I am on a little bit of a kick where I've been working out more. I've been eating better. I'm starting to get svelte. So maybe my words should be svelte. Mm, I like that. That's a good word. All right, leave it here. We got Punch It Audio coming up. Plus, Dana Altman, Oregon basketball coach, joins us in the 5 o'clock hour. Did you catch what Wayne Tinkle said about other teams in the Pac-12 conference? Other basketball coaches, other programs in the conference not being happy about the moves that they are making into the Big 12 and into the Big 10. Uh, Listen to this. I asked Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State uh, men's basketball coach, about Oregon State's move in 2024 and 2025 in basketball and a lot of the non-revenue generating sports, uh, women's basketball and others, they will be playing as part of the WCC. Here's what Tinkle had to say. Yeah, I feel I feel great. Um, Scott came to me several weeks ago and asked my opinion. Uh, I, I think uh, as far as men's basketball goes, it, it's a horse piece. You know, you joined the Mountain West for a couple of years. Uh, you, you've got Boise, Utah State, San Diego State, Colorado State. Uh, you know, the WCC, obviously Gonzaga, St. Mary, San Francisco, and Santa Clara have been really good of late. Um, and, and you had us in Washington State. I think either conference would have been strengthened by that. I like the travel uh, in the West Coast Conference. Uh, I think that's going to be a lot more economical, number one, and, and less draining uh, for the teams that are, are traveling within that conference. Um, and then we'll see. You know, everybody knows that it's a temporary deal. That's going to be real interesting in a couple of years, John, when some of the grant of rights are up in some other conferences and um, as, as us in Washington State join hands to try to rebuild to see what direction uh, that goes. And I, and I also, a lot of us are talking that, in, and we're already hearing, you know, rumblings that some schools that are leaving the Pac-12 aren't happy. And we'll see if, if maybe in two years out, 
um, there aren't some looking to come back with us. And I think that's why Oregon State and Washington State are going to move very deliberately and slowly on the rebuild. Now, they've got uh, you know more than two years on the ticking clock that says, hey, you have this grace period to rebuild the conference. And I think, you know, originally I was looking at like the summer of 2024, this next summer. Like, could we see San Diego State declare on June 30th of 2024 that they intend to join the Pac-12 conference in 2025, like a year later? Could you see that announcement? Maybe you still might. But I'm now looking at it and going, gosh, if I'm Oregon State and Washington State, you now have had time for the departing members to run some numbers. They're all looking at, hey, we didn't quite get what we thought we were going to get from a meteorite standpoint. You know, in the ACC, Stanford and Cal. In the Big 12 Conference, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, certainly uh, departing. And you've got the Big Ten members that are, that are uh, leaving, obviously the four schools, the two L.A. schools in Oregon and Washington. Like, I do think there's going to be some buyer's remorse, and probably already is some buyer's remorse, because some of the schools are going, like, Arizona is in a financial mess that cannot be undone. And Robert Robbins, the president there, has had to answer a lot of questions about his budget, what is happening, and, oh, by the way, you got to pay $6.5 million to Oregon State, Washington State, and, oh, by the way, you're getting less money than you received in the Pac-12 to go to the Big 12. Um, Stanford and Cal taking pennies on the dollar, Cal in particular, that can't look and feel good to Cal to have to go all the way across the country or play games in Dallas, Texas. It's just not how it intended. And I think Chip Kelly's you know, whole plan where he said, splinter away football, it's very easy, here's how I do it. I think if that gets any more traction, I do think you, will, you could potentially see the non-revenue generating sports and men's basketball in, in, included coming back to the Pac-12 footprint and saying, okay, we're just going to play football in those other conferences or we're going to play football as the group of 64 and everybody else is going to go back to playing regional games. There's a tremendous strain that is put upon your finances when it comes to travel and there's a tremendous burden that is put on your athletes as it pertains to their well-being as they are traipsing around the country, taking those extra days, extra hours, longer flights. It's not football where you're going to play Rutgers on a Saturday and then you won't do that again for three more years. This is like you're going to play Rutgers, then you're going to play Michigan State, then you're going to play Michigan, then you're going to play, you know, depending on what conference is in, Stanford and Cal playing this ACC schedule. I just think at some point Tinkle's right, and I've, already, I've heard the rumblings too. And mainly, for me, it's come from the women's basketball coaches and the other sports, like baseball and softball and track and field and gymnastics, and the and the coaches and athletes are going, you know, soccer, this doesn't make any sense. You know, we don't want to don't have to go play games over on that side of the country. Clearly, the decisions that were made by Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC, Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, Cal, they were all decisions that were made with only two things in mind. One, football. Two, money. That's it. Nothing else mattered. It was football and money. And so now you have all these other coaches and people who are caught in the gears of this thing who are definitely going to go, you know what, I'm having second thoughts about this. I don't know this is a great idea. It's affecting our recruiting. 
And I talked to a recruit that is headed to Oregon State on a uh, Olympic sports scholarship. Okay, so non-revenue generating sport scholarship athlete. Talk to her parents about why she stayed committed to Oregon State because they were waiting. They were waiting to see where's Oregon State going to play. Okay, they're going to play in the WCC. And I'll just say it was a soccer player on the women's side, scholarship athlete heading to Oregon State. And I know the parents, and I talked to the parents, and I said, okay, why is it that, you know, what are you thinking about? Like, what's important to you? And the answer came back very simply, one sentence. We want to see our kid play. That's it. It didn't have to do with we want to see our kid play in the Big Ten. We want to see our kid play, uh, you know, all these ranked teams on, on other parts of the country. Uh, we, we, we want to see our kid in the national championship game. We want NIL money. None of that came up. It was simply, we want to see our kid play. And I think that's very interesting. I think there's a lot of athletes and parents who are sitting around going, we just want to see our kid play. We just want to, our kid's going to play college sports. We want to see our kid participate and play. And I don't think that other stuff matters as much uh, in those other sports as it does in football. Because football players, if you think about it, they're different. The sport's not only different, the athletes are different. What comes up very early in every high-profile four-star, five-star recruits recruitment? You know, what, what kinds of things? What are the questions being asked? It's what? You know, what kind of NIL money can I expect? Can we talk to your collective? That comes up high. Coaches at Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, USC, Arizona, Utah. I've talked to them all. That comes up high in the conversation, okay? Where is, you know, what kind of NIL deal can I expect? And it's probably asked in a more polite way, but it comes up. Second thing is it's playing time. Third thing, it's, you know, will we play for, who are we going to play? Are we going to be able to play the best teams of the country? Do we have a shot to make the playoff? That stuff matters to football players. It doesn't matter as much to basketball players. It doesn't matter as much to soccer players and gymnasts and baseball players. Of course, you know, baseball players want to play for a national championship, but as long as they have access to a regional, as long as they have the ability to play games in the the part of the country where their family can see them or maybe they grew up, I think, you know, they're not thinking like football players. And so I, I do think there's a buyer's remorse right now. And for people who are wondering what Oregon State's going to do in baseball, I think they're going to end up playing as an independent ultimately. Like Washington State can't do that. It's probably off to the Mountain West or the WCC for Washington State. But Oregon State could do it. Oregon State could play as an independent. They could put together a schedule. They could play Pepperdine. They could play Fresno State. They could play uh, you know, Oregon and Washington and UCLA and Arizona and Arizona State and Stanford and Cal, they will pick Oregon State up because why? Because it helps their strength of schedule. Oregon State's that good. It's a different animal. So uh, Oregon State baseball, I think, is going to be fine, although it'll be tricky to put it together. But, you know, it's one of those things that's very rewarding at the end of it because I think Oregon State's going to be able to look back and go, hell, we're like Notre Dame in baseball. I just I think there's going to be buyer's remorse if there's not already publicly expressed the minute these athletes have to start getting on planes. And the minute their families go, hell, we can't afford to go and fly to 
you know, Rutgers and fly to East Lansing, Michigan, which is might as well be Siberia, and fly. You know, I covered the Big Ten Conference. I do think there's some families that, you know, who, who have kids playing not football at Oregon and Washington in particular. So there's some families who are going to go, man, this is really not ideal. We really thought we were going to get to see our kids play games and travel up and down the Pacific time zone and stay in the West Coast and go to some really cool cities. And, you know, it, I, I do, you know, I've always flown with the football team and the basketball team and I've flown into Phoenix and flown into L.A. or, you know, gone to Salt Lake City. And I've thought, you know, I've seen parents on the trips. And I think to myself, like, how cool is that that they get to go see their kid play? Well, try doing that when your kid's playing Illinois or playing Rutgers or Maryland. Uh, It might be fun once, but uh, through a course of a season, uh, I think it's going to be a real grind. I do think there's going to be some blowback and so, uh, some buyers, some definite buyer's remorse. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about that as this unfolds. So I'm not going to be surprised when football finds leadership. Chip Kelly, make him the commissioner for crying out loud. But when football finds some leadership, some visionary leadership, maybe it's Greg Sankey of the SEC, and it's somebody who can say, hey, we're going to act in the best interest of football. Clearly, if we took the top 64 teams, we negotiated as a unit of 64, stopped competing against each other, stopped stabbing each other in the back, conference to conference, and we just take the best 64 teams, go out and negotiate a media rights deal. Everybody else is going to have to play in a lower tier. You can form conferences, but it's going to be a lower tier of football. There's going to be you know, Division A, that's 64 teams. All of those teams will play each other. There's enough games to go around. There's still a place in that system for teams to play lower tier competition you can you can play portland state you can go down you can play some mountain west traditional mountain west conference opponents there's going to be another tier that you could still play those games but football splits away it calms everything down oregon women's basketball should not be playing in the big 10 conference it's ridiculous they should be playing against stanford they should be playing against cal should be playing against arizona and ucla um, you know, Washington State uh, in, in Oregon State as well. And Washington, same thing. UCLA, same thing. UCLA's baseball team should be playing against Oregon State. It shouldn't have to go to the Big Ten and compete. Mark Wazakowski, the Oregon baseball coach, should not have to be going to play Purdue. He should be playing Arizona and, and UCLA and USC and uh, playing against Oregon State. Like the, It just makes too much sense. And so I think that will be unwound, but it's interesting to hear it from Wayne Tinkle. Leave it here. We got Punch and Audio next. Stephen, are you uh, are you uh, wrapped into this Jeffrey Epstein uh, client list release uh, drama that uh, everybody else is uh, waiting on? I I will say this: if the, if the client list comes out, I'll definitely glance at it. But I'm not not all in right now. I'm waiting to see, and I'm also seeing like a whole bunch of people who are fighting over whose names are going to be on the list. Like, just put it in, just put the list out. Let's just you yeah, know. just name names. Give me the names, and I'll and then I'll tune in. And then, and I don't want any of this John Doe stuff. I want names being named because I think you know the John Doe stuff is just going to raise bigger speculation. I, I saw Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy Fallon. Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Sorry, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers going at it on social media because Aaron Rodgers is like, Jimmy Kimmel does not want this list to come out. Like, how can you say that if you're Aaron Rodgers? If he's wrong, 
Like Jimmy Kimmel's going to go at him. Can like he, legally. You, can, you can sue, can't you? Do yes. That? Yeah. That's not a good yeah. list. That's not a good list to be on. You, you, what you have to prove in that case is you have to prove a that it's it's uh, inaccurate, right? It's not true, and then secondarily, um, you got to prove that the person acted with malice and or uh, or reckless uh, disregard. And you know, certainly, I think you could argue that it's reckless to throw somebody's name out there associated with Jeffrey Epstein if they're not associated with Jeffrey Epstein. So. Be careful what you throw out there on social media. That's all I'm saying. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm into it a little bit, but I just find it odd. Like people I don't expect to be into it, like Aaron Rodgers, is is into it. And so um, we'll see what happens when the list comes out. Interested to see uh, what goes down there. Uh, let's talk uh, about Punch It Audio. Let's go. We got Dana Altman coming up in the five o'clock hour as well. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies got it done. Here's the final play of the Sugar Bowl. Washington closed it out on defense. Punch. Texas trailing all night long. One last chance to advance to the national championship game. Ewers lobs it up, and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. There it is. Washington got it done. Michael Penix Jr. was the best player on the field. Felt like he should have won the Heisman Trophy. He was on top of my ballot. He is a special player. On the postgame stage after the game, he told Molly McGrath, well, uh, they all came back this year to play for the national title. Unfinished business? Punch it. 430 passing yards in this game. You told us earlier this week, I've yet to play my best game as a Husky. Was tonight it? No, we got one more to go. <laughs> we got one more to go. Michael, when you decided to return for a sixth season, could you ever have imagined this and why? Man, definitely, man. That's definitely uh, the biggest reason we came back. You know, I said it before the season started. You know, our goal was to win a uh, national championship. And now we got the opportunity. We got the shot to do it. So, man, Husky Nation, stand up, man. We going to the natty, man. Let's go. They go into the natty. Can we not say natty? But Michael Penix Jr., 430 passing yards. He's just a different kind of player. He makes throws others cannot make. Uh, Washington now a four-and-a-half-point underdog against Michigan in the national championship well, game. John, what would yeah. you prefer, natty or the chip? Because I would much rather prefer the natty over the Can chip. Can we just say the national championship game or the title game or the championship game? Why, why do we have to shorten everything? I don't know. Like, that's just what that's we what, saving. What we How much do. time are we saving? You know, I, I just hate chip because it's not even. It's not. It's not the chip. It's the ship. If yeah. anything, the ship. It's not the chip. Roma Dunze, wide receiver, Washington. He credited all the close games Washington played in this season. Here he is talking about it. Punch it. Oh, man. It, it took a lot of execution, a lot of perseverance. You know, our games are always, you know, come down to the wire. It's like, I wish we could just, you know, come out here, handle business, you know, and, and, and get a get at least a three-point or three, you know, uh, three-possession lead and, and call it a wrap. But, 
you know, it always comes down to these moments. And we're built for that. You know, that's how it's been all season. So um, when we get in those tight moments, you know, all of us on the sideline had that belief that our defense was going to be able to make a stop, and that's exactly what they did. Defense got to stop. Uh, Washington's defense has come up big in a couple of games. You probably look back to the Arizona State game in particular, and maybe a couple of the uh, Oregon games, uh, as the Washington defense made some plays when they had to. Meanwhile, speaking of Oregon, Bo Nix called it uh, a career over the weekend. In the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon boat raced a Liberty team that was in over its head. Here's Bo Nix reflecting on his career. Punch it. Well, I feel like I have played a lot of football, but, you know, every time I went out there, um, you know, it slowed down uh, more and more. And, you know, by the end of it, I just had a really, you know, comfortable feel. And, you know, I think uh, this year with what we were doing offensively, schematically, I think, um, you know, we just, um, you know, we're very efficient. And part of that is because of, you know, what we did um, offensively and then the players we have you know, on our side of the ball. And, um, you know, it's been a great career. It's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, and, you know, it's been, uh, there's been some great adversity too that I've been able to learn from. And, you know, I wouldn't be here without, you know, every year, every step has been, you know, another journey and um, I wouldn't have traded anything. What, what I'll do, uh, say just to, to piggyback off that for Bo is, you know, hopefully everybody up here on the, you know, out here in the crowd realizes that this guy has the single season record for passing touchdowns, passing yards, and most touchdowns in an Oregon Bowl game right here at quarterback, not to mention set the NCAA passing record for completion percentage. So he's done a lot for this program. He's played in a lot of elite ball, and we're really proud of him. There it is, Bo Nix, 61 career starts. Dylan Gabriel, the guy that is coming through the portal from Oklahoma to Oregon, has 49 career starts. He'd have to be healthy, start every game next season to tie Bo Nix in the regular season. I don't think we're going to see quarterbacks with 58 or 61 starts in the next generation. A lot of that, I think, had to do with extra eligibility, the pandemic. Um, Certainly a medical redshirt would help a player. But, you know, moving forward... You'd have to start every regular season game, three or four playoff games, you know, and your conference championship game to be in play for that. And I just don't think we're going to see quarterbacks with 60 starts. Previous NCAA record prior to Bo Nix breaking it was 54. Keep an eye on that. Paul Feinbaum, the biggest SEC honk in the land, he had previously said he would never give Michigan credit because of Jim Harbaugh. He's now walking that back a little bit. Come on, fine, Bob. Don't do that. Punch it. I will say they won it legitimately, uh, and congratulations to the best team in college football. Hail to the victors. Greeny, I said a lot of those things, and I said it right here to you, and I believed it when I said it. But after spending a week around the Michigan program, I came away with a different view. These these young players, uh, Core McCarthy, they, they, these guys have had nothing to do with whatever happened in this program. Uh, they, they are really the epitome of what you expect a college football program to be. The epitome of what you expect them to be. I was surprised that Michigan beat uh, Alabama. I thought Alabama was the better team. I wasn't alone either. Rick Neuheisel thought Alabama would win. Punch it. Uh, I was actually a little surprised that Alabama went down. You know, Nick Saban had won six straight semifinal games. He'd lost that opener to Ohio State back in 2014, complained that a bunch of his guys were worried about uh, their NFL draft stock, were getting uh, 
you know, all that, uh, with their paperwork, I guess it was called back then, with the uh, NFL people giving them information as to whether or not they should declare for the NFL draft. He said it was a distraction. And since that time, they've won and won handily in many of these games in those semifinals. So to have very one explosive pass play yesterday was testament to Michigan's defense. Yeah, explosive pass plays were missing. Thought Alabama just had trouble. Give Michigan credit. I think they had five sacks in the first half. Put a lot of pressure on Alabama's passing game. But, you know, you're going to get Michael Penix Jr. in this game. And for people who don't understand, I've watched teams try to game the system. The best job that I thought anybody did in getting pressure on Michael Penix Jr. came from Arizona State. And I'm sure Michigan's going to look at that film. But a lot of other teams got burned badly by coming after Penix Jr. Uh, Here's Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was asked after the win in the Rose Bowl, would he be back next season at Michigan? What does the future hold for Jim Harbaugh? Punch it. Uh, Congratulations, Coach. Uh, There's a lot of interest in your future. I wonder if you can tell me what the chances are that the championship game might be your last one at Michigan. (laughs) My future consists of a happy flight back to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Can't wait. There's a guy who does not want to answer the question. He's hired an agent, an NFL agent. It's uh, clear that Jim Harbaugh's got one eye, at least, on the NFL. His job's not getting any easier, is it? Like, it kind of feels like this is the window for him. If he doesn't win it this year, he's got USC, he's got Oregon, he's got Washington coming into his conference next year. He doesn't just have to worry about Ohio State. So I wonder if Jim Harbaugh tries to uh, rip and run in winning this game. Keep an eye on that. Lions-Cowboys game ended with controversy over the weekend. Dean Blandino uh, talking about what happened between that game and what is true and what is not true. Punch it. I, the Lions did not do anything wrong. They, they, And I have no doubt in my mind, obviously not knowing what was said, but I have no doubt in my mind that 68 said that he was reporting to the referee. You, don't, you can't run that play without 68, and that's practice. This is something... This is a two-point try with so much riding, that game, playoff implications. So there's no doubt in my mind that 68 is reporting. I do think the way they presented it um, created a little bit of confusion for Brad Allen. I think he went too fast. I think there's some accountability on, on the official side as well. 70 had reported earlier during the game. He sees 70 coming in. He assumes it's 70. And, uh, and goes too fast. So I think there's, there's, I don't think the Lions did anything wrong by rule. I just think the environment created a situation where, where quite frankly, Brett Allen assumed something that wasn't true. Yeah, and the, the pool report after the game, Brett Allen goes on to say there were two flags on the field. One was, hey, failure to report. The second one was an illegal formation as Panay Sewell was covering up what, what uh, they thought was an eligible receiver. It's really unfortunate. Lions were trying to be sly. Um, probably the, the mistake was made on the officials, but, man, glad it didn't cost anybody dearly. Dana Oldman will be joining us this hour, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. We've got the 5-5 five at five from Steven. Should I come up with a better word for the year? Anna has asked all of our family members to come up with a word for the year. Her word is simplify. 
Think about that. What's your word for the year? I said focus, but maybe I should have. Maybe I should have said relax. Should have said the opposite of focus. I don't know. You tell me what your word is. Ask your family around the dinner table tonight, or text. Create a group text. Anna did a group text. Can I read some of them from our other fa- extended family members? Yeah, let's do it's it. Like tw- there's like 20 people on this on this group text. Word of the day. Here's one. Action. Here's another one. Uh, joy. Here's one. Persevere. Faith. Here's one from uh, my nephew who's in college. Shredded. <laughs> followed by, followed by uh, his grandfather asking, what does shredded mean? Here's one. Win. Organize. Action. What is your word? Our seven-year-old and a nine-year-old added their words in as well. Their words were exotic and snazzy. So there you go. I I want you to ask your kids that, Stephen. Ask them what their word for the year is. Not a New Year's resolution, but what's your word for the year? And see what they come back with, all right? We'll do, yeah. I'll do like uh, Snazzy. Snazzy's a good one. Snazzy came from our seven-year-old, exotic, our nine-year-old. And uh, I got to ask more questions about those words. All right, so uh, let's play some some uh, five at five. And then uh, Dana Altman will be joining us, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. The Five at Five. We do this every day, the top five stories as Anna or Steven sees them. Today it's Steven. Number one. What do you got, Steven? All right, John, the college football playoff is almost over. National championship set Washington versus Michigan. Washington, four and a half point underdog right now, according to Bet Online. I think we think you like Washington. I like Michigan to win the game. I don't know about the points. Spread. Points spread is about right, but I, I like Michigan to win. Um, but a couple of news stories after the game. Dylan Johnson, the running back, he got hurt towards the end of the game. Offensive coordinator Ben Grubb of Washington says that the X-rays were negative that they had, and he is expected to play on Monday night in the championship game. Uh, and then right after the game, of course, George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner, he told Ross Dellinger, quote, he's happy for the kids. They don't deserve all the mm. nonsense going on around them. We were focused on rebuilding football. It took two and a half years. I wish it would have happened quicker. If some of our schools would have been a little more patient, it would have paid off, end quote. Uh, so Klyovkov still not taking any blame for what happened in the Pac-12. Yeah, Klyovkov needs to own that. I think, you know, look, we all understand it wasn't just him. There were some other factors in play. Uh, university presidents and chancellors have some uh, culpability. Former Commissioner Larry Scott certainly on the list. Uh, obviously, the TV networks play a role in this. Um, you know, bad economics uh, aside, I wish the commissioner would own it. And I also wish he would stop showing up on the stage and on the podium when the teams are there. I don't think Washington State or Oregon State are going to retain George Klyovkov. I think he will be sent packing, but for now he is the acting commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference. Uh, I like Washington in the national title game. I just think Penix Jr. is the better player. He's the best player on the field. If this were an NBA series, you would pick them. I think he has that kind of impact uh, as the quarterback at Washington. But uh, we'll see how this unfolds. Number two. What do you got? Uh, Lincoln and the wife are listening in the car. Lincoln said his word is relax. That's what his oh, is. I like that. I like that. Chill. He gets it. Chill. Chill. I, he there likes you go. it. Uh, speaking of chill, Coach Prime, he was pretty chill last year when they were 3-0. and But he says he wants more privacy this next season. 
Uh, Sanders was talking to People Magazine. He reflected on the year uh, as the second season of uh, Coach Prime is set to release later on this week on Prime Video. Uh, Coach Prime says he wishes he had a little more private. He goes, you always wish you had a little more privacy, but the same thing that makes you shine will show your blemishes. The season was a whirlwind early on, then it calmed down to a halt. We're going to show you how we dealt with adversity. It was tough because I've never lost pretty much in my life. In the last several years of my life, 10 years, decade, I'm a darn winner. So dealing with those losses was tough, end quote. Coach Prime, though, he doesn't want as much attention this year, John. Seems uh, seems like that's not what a Coach Prime thing would say. That's not his thing. I mean, he's brought the attention. The attention's not the problem. The, the problem is that it's gone, you know, a little bit too far in that direction, a little bit too much, especially after a couple of wins. I've got the receipts. You know, do you believe now? There's a four-win team a year ago. He's going to have an easier go of it in the Big 12 than he would in the Pac-12. He doesn't have to deal with Oregon, doesn't have to deal with Washington, doesn't have to deal with USC or UCLA. He'll have an easier time playing Houston and Baylor and and others in that conference. But uh, Arizona might be a big factor. Utah might be a big factor that he has to worry about. But uh, I think some of this is on him. Like He can tell us all he wants, that it it needs to be less about the attention, but... Some of that's on Coach Prime, like Deion Sanders. Let's just say it. His name's Deion Sanders. Like Deion Sanders needs to make it less about Deion Sanders if he wants to win that way. But the problem is the program's built that way. He's recruiting that way. Um, I just think he's not getting the result on the field, and I don't think he got the result he wanted on National Signing Day either. So I think it was kind of an indictment of what is going on at Colorado to a certain extent. But I also think if you're Colorado, you look at the attention you got, you look at the eyeballs, the season ticket sales, the enthusiasm, and you go, hey, this isn't this isn't bad. This has paid off so far. Number three. What do you got? Well, some more Oregon State transfer portal news just about a half hour ago. Starting offensive lineman Tanner Miller for the Bees. He said he's going to enter the transfer portal. Miller was selected the ESPN second team All-American at guard this last year. It was also a second team All-Pac-12 performer. And then former Beef quarterback DJ Uyunglele made it official. He's going to Florida State next year. He told ESPN that FSU was has been his priority and his goal all along since he entered the portal. He had visited there more than two weeks ago, waited for things to come together, and had not taken any other college visits. Uh, DJ, 40 career games, 30-10 and 10 record last year with the Beavs, 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Yeah, there. Yeah, you know, DJ. I I texted a little bit with DJ over the weekend, and you know his dad's told me as well. Big Dave told me that there's much more to the story. I would love to hear what else is part of the story when it comes to DJ. I don't think Oregon State's going to miss DJ. I do think you know when you look at the you know the attrition that Oregon State has had, um, you know you expect some of that when a coach leaves. You also have Silas Bolden getting into the transfer portal. Fifty four passes. 746 yards, five touchdowns. That's the guy that is the bigger loss as I see it. But, you know, there's no Childs. There's no DJ. Bolden's in the portal. You've got offensive linemen leaving both in the portal and for the NFL. It's going to be tough for Trent Bray. But, you know, I, I that's what coaching is in today's world. Get, you know, start recruiting. Get in the portal. I like some of the moves that Bray has made. I like the staff he's put together. Craig Hayward, name is defensive coordinator. Hayward's going to help Trent Bray. Hayward is a personality. He's a recruiter. I think that was a really good addition. So you got Gunderson, you got Hayward, you got Bray. Guess what? They're all Oregon State grads. So is Kyle Devan, the offensive line coach. You got a lot of Oregon State flavor on the staff now. Be curious to see if they can put this thing back together. It's not Humpty Dumpty. It's a football team. Number four. You talked about this a little bit uh, right before the commercial break, so I'll give you a little more time here. But the NFL, uh, the, the, with the Lions-Cowboys 
debacle, we could say, at the end of the uh, game. The NFL distributed a video out today reminding his teams that it's the player's responsibility <laughs> to properly report as eligible receivers. Uh, it's the responsibility of the player to be sure that change in status is clearly communicated to the ref by both a physical signal with his hands up and down in front of his chest and a report to the referee in his attention to report as an eligible receiver. ESPN senior or NFL senior vice president Walt Anderson said in the video, of course, uh, the Lions, Taylor Decker, he wears number 68. He approached the ref Brad Allen to report as eligible, but also Penny, School, Penny Sewell was right next to him. And then Dan Skipper, who number 70, ran onto the field and ran towards the ref as well. Looked like uh, the referee was a little confused of what was going on. Didn't know what was happening, but the NFL back in the ref here, John, saying, you know what? It's on you. It's on you players to uh, clearly indicate who is eligible, who is not. And it is on the players. I think there's there's a problem here in how it kind of went down. And I think, you know, from Detroit's standpoint, they were trying to be a little bit sneaky about it, right? Like they, they, they ran a trio of players in the direction of the official they didn't want the defense tuned in to like, hey, I'm going to be eligible. Like, you know, they weren't really looking at that. And so I think in the end, it ended up biting them because the official didn't take the time to kind of look over and, and make sure that it was right. And I think that's kind of where it went askew. So I think, you know, there was a problem there at, that is born from the combination of a team trying to be a little sneaky and an official that really didn't take his time and be careful. I, I tend to uh, agree with Dean Blandino's uh, r- response. Like, did the Lions do something wrong? Well, I don't think they did, like, procedurally something wrong. But in the end, they didn't get their desired outcome. And so I think they got to be clearer. You know, when they go to report a player as an eligible receiver, you got to be clearer. And a lot of times now, I learned this over the weekend, uh, you know, offensive tackles will point to their – jersey number and they'll rub it like basically this number is going to be eligible but when you look at the film of it like there are at least three lions players who made movements towards the official it's clear that they were trying to get 68 eligible but they didn't get the outcome that they wanted and i think they have to pay attention to that finally number five well, during the Sugar Bowl, of course, is in New Orleans. Uh, ESPN ran into a little bit of a problem coming back from a commercial, and they have since apologized. Uh, ESPN, from coming back to the commercial, they showed Bourbon Street, and there was a woman who was seen flashing her breasts on the network's Uh-oh. coverage of, this, of the Sugar Bowl uh, as the telecast was turning from a commercial break, a uh, Modelo commercial, by the way, which is pretty funny. There was also a uh, baby in a stroller right next to them at the moment when it happened. Uh, ESPN spokesperson Bill Hoffmeyer told the Associated Press, we regret regret that this happened and apologize that the video aired in the telecast. Uh, John, seems like a really risky move to go down Bourbon Street, I think, unless you're going to have it on a delay at some point. But uh, how does someone not catch that? Like, you can't be showing that on TV. If you're going to go on, yeah, if you're going on Bourbon Street with a camera, you got to know that you are going to be uh, prone to be picking things up that happen on Bourbon Street uh, while you're doing that. So I think uh, in the end, uh, you got to put some of this on ESPN. You also have to know, like, you know, let's relax a little bit. Let's not have people freak out. You know, I don't know how bad it was. I didn't see it, but you can go check go... out my Twitter. I liked it. Uh, my Twitter account. Oh, it's on your Twitter. <laughs> I didn't go looking for it. I went and sent it to a bunch of my friends. I'm like, hey, check this out, guys. Uh, I didn't. Uh, but I, was it bad? Was it like really egregious, or is uh, it just kind of like I showed a Ju- quick? I, I showed Judah during the break. He didn't catch it the first time he saw it. Like we had, no. you had to really check it. So it's it's 
it's not like out there, but yeah, I mean, if you if, if you're just glancing, you would not have caught it. But people that watched it, obviously, uh, you can tell. Well, there you go. Uh, if you're upset by that and it's something that you can't get over, I think it probably says something about you, not 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 the ESPN. I I know Hoffmeyer a little bit, or Hoffheimer, the uh, ESPN spokesperson. I'm normally dealing with him on topics that are uh, related to, um, you know, uh, Kirk Herbstreet or or uh, the bad uh, TV trucks that they sent to the Pac-12 games. So you got fuzzy broadcasts. So I have to think this They could have used bit. the fuzzy broadcast for the commercial break there. <laughs> they had the wrong truck there, finally. Yeah, they should have brought the regular Pac-12 trucks down Bourbon Street and it would have been right. fine. It really cost them. So there you are in the end. That's the five at five. Anna will be back. Don't worry, she'll be back. No offense to you, Stephen, but people always tell me she's their favorite part of the show. Uh, she will be back. Um, kids are off school today. Kids are not back in school until uh, tomorrow. Are your kids in the same boat? Uh, my oldest does not have school, but my youngest, who's in preschool, he did have school. So the preschoolers mm. are back. You know, the high schoolers are back, and then the uh, elementary school not back. So it was a little weird sending the little one off to preschool and then having the bigger one uh, hang out with me. The whole family doing something without the little kid, you know. Yeah. You guys are all doing something fun, and the little one got no part of it. No, um, just back at school. How was your Christmas? I didn't get a chance to talk to you, really, and catch up. How was the holiday in general for you? Well, it's a little hectic for me because uh, my little one, the littlest one, Hudson, his he was actually born on Christmas. So that's his actual birthday is Christmas Day. So it's a little hectic, uh, We, but it was good. You know, we tried to make it very special for him. We tried to, you know, bring birthday cakes or whatever we want, seeing happy birthday to him on those days. Cause it's, it's gotta be hard, you know, to see people opening up presents on your birthday when you're a little kid like that. But, uh, we made it work and, uh, it, it was good overall, just got through it, got through it all with uh, the family and everything like that. So it was a good time. It was, it was, uh, I'm glad to hear that for us. It was relaxing. It was just uh, a different pace and, and I'm glad cause I kind of needed it. I kind of, I told Judah this, we were talking earlier today. I just said, you know, it's, uh, it was, by the time the Christmas season came around for me, I was kind of, you know, basically coming off a year and a half of the um, Pac-12 drama. And, you know, we got through the college football season and here came Christmas and we just got a chance to kind of pump the brakes and pause. And I really needed that. I know Anna's saying, uh, you know, her word of the year is, uh, uh, you know, essentially focused on simplifying things. I think it's a good year, a good word to have for your year, 2024. Uh, for me, I said focus, but I, I think I only said focus because I was rested. And in the end, I uh, I uh, felt like uh, that was a good place for me to be. Uh, Dana Altman is coming up. University of Oregon men's basketball team coming off some victories last week. We talked to Wayne Tinkle earlier in the show. If you missed uh, my interview with Tinkle, you can grab it on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get the podcast of this radio show. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk to Dana Altman coming and up. He's the got uh, a, latest yeah. bracketology with the Ducks, John. They are in the, uh, not the next four out, but the next four out. Not first four out, next four out. So, uh, so in the eight out? They're in the eight out, according according to Lenardi. So they're right on the outside, but they're close. It's time Jackson, to start looking at that. I want to ask him about Jackson Shellstad, the terrific freshman out of Westland High School who is looking like he was the best guard on the court last week when they played UCLA and USC, and it was not close. They look like a tournament team. I'm going to fire Dana Altman up. We're going to ask him about his bigs. When will they be back? All of that still ahead. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide.
Well, the end of last season, I spoke with Dana Altman, Oregon basketball coach. He was frustrated, kind of mad at the world, he said, as he ended kind of that NIT run against Wisconsin at home. The crowd at, at Matthew Knight Arena wasn't great, and the, you know the season, the players on the court had not played well. They didn't shoot free throws in that game, and Altman was upset and frustrated, as he should be. And, uh, you know, he said he's coming back. And he mentioned, uh, you know, that, you know, he, he wanted uh, to see his players, you know, find some love for the game and, and, and work hard. He wanted some dogs. And he's got a couple of freshmen playing right now, including Jackson Shellstad, the guard, who are playing lights out. He's got a, two freshmen. He needs to get his bigs back, Nate Biddle and Infale Dante, out right now. Will he get him back here in January? But, uh, you know, you're kind of looking at, at uh at a, a season for for Dana Altman in the in the Ducks that could be really promising in a week last week where they just played really well all of the focus was on Bronny James and USC and UCLA they've been struggling but Oregon took care of business against those two teams and uh has uh has sort of reinvigorated the fan base and really turned some attention to this week, that's what happens when you have a good week. Uh, it becomes about this week. Altman will be joining us here coming up in just a moment. Dave and Tumwater is called in. He wants to talk about Wayne Tinkle's comments. We had Tinkle on earlier in the show. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, yeah, John. I'm out for my walk, but I've been on hold. But I thought you got Wayne to make some news. Uh, he, he corrected himself from saying there have been rumblings to actual conversations. My guess is that the prime suspects wanting back are Cal Stanford and maybe uh, Utah, maybe Arizona with their financial problems. So I, that's uh, the, the waiting game that they've been playing, the Pac-2, I think it's going to pay off in the long run, John. Yeah, we'll see. I, I like that you're uh, bringing the heat, Dave and Tumwater. I love that you're out for a walk, too, in 2024. Uh, I do think there's going to be some remorse by by the teams that left and the programs that left, but we'll see how that unfolds. My focus right now is on the men's basketball season this year, and it really picked up for me in watching Oregon beat USC, beat UCLA last week. I thought Jackson Shellstad in particular looked like uh, he was uh, the best guard on the court in either game. They've got Washington this week. Oregon is at Washington Thursday, at Washington State on Saturday. After that, it'll be Cal and uh, Colorado and Utah in the next uh, five games or so. Real opportunity for Dana Altman's team. If he can get his bigs back, look out. Oregon looks pretty good. Joining us now, Dana Altman. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Yeah, start of a new year and... Uh conference season in full swing now now i my wife has this exercise where she asks everybody in the family to come up with a word for the year her word is simplify my word is focus i don't know if i need more focus i don't know i can i kind of do that anyway but what would dana altman's word for the year be Ooh, right now healthy i'd like to get the team healthy <laughs> uh yeah you know i guys are playing hard john i i i liked how hard we played uh, we're still making too many execution mistakes and um you know transition defensively at times we're not talking good enough but i had no problem with our effort i thought you know we were active we played pretty hard um you know now it's just a matter of 
as you mentioned, if, if we could get Dante and or Nate back, um, they're both really trying to come back. Um, you don't want to rush that. Those two guys with the future, you know, after they leave here. So we want to make sure that, that they're healthy. Uh, but by the same token, uh, you know, every game matters. We gave a game or two away, you know, in our non-conference. And, um, you know, we can't afford to, to give any away. And Washington, Washington State are both having nice years. Both teams very well coached. And, and we know we're going to have to play really well on the road uh, to get those games. Yeah, when you, you know, talk about – getting your bigs back you're obviously you want those guys to be healthy and back but it's given an opportunity maybe for some other guys to get minutes that they wouldn't get or to play a role they wouldn't normally play have you seen players blossom in in, in this time kj evans um has really you know as a freshman made big strides um he started out i you know was on him pretty good about his physicality or lack thereof and and he's really come on. Um, he's really tried to make, you know, some defensive plays. He's blocked a few shots. He's got a, his hands on a lot of passes, uh, used his length well on the defensive end. Um, you know, he's had a couple of games where he's turned it over way too much. But, uh, you know, he's, he's being aggressive. Uh, and that is an advantage when, you know, you only have seven or eight guys and, you know, guys have to play through mistakes you know, a lot of times they do come around quicker. And uh, it may cost you a game or two early. Uh, you hope to get those back late in the year when, when guys have more experience. Jackson Shellstad has looked really good. And, you know, I've watched him in high school. People in this uh, in this state have seen him play in big games and seen him play against Bronny James in the Les Schwab uh, Invitational. But, uh, you know, where is he as as compared to maybe your expectations as a freshman? Well, my expectations were pretty high for him just because, you know, I've known Jackson since he was an eighth grader. And um, I was a little worried about whether he'd, you know, grow, but he hit a little growth spurt there and, and got a little bigger. And, um, you know, his skill level's always been really good. You know, he... And he's a competitive young man. He's, he's been a lot of fun to work with. Um, he's always been a confident player because he's put so much time in. And he's he's putting a lot of time in for us now. And he, he got hurt and was out for four weeks. And, um, you know, that held him back a little bit. I think he missed four or five games to start the year. But, um, you know, he's really trying to, to make up for lost time by getting in the gym a little bit more now that he's healthy. And he has had some really good games offensively. Defensively, you know, he's, he's got, uh, he's taken a few possessions off here and there and probably playing him a few too many minutes, you know, for as much time as he was out there. But, um, uh, with Keyshawn out for a few games and still battling, trying to come back from an ankle injury, uh, he's had to play extended minutes. And again, without, the only thing I can say is negative is he takes, few possessions off defensively uh, but other than that you know he tries to run the show he plays with tremendous confidence um, you know the guys like playing with him and um, he's been really coachable you know he tries to do everything we ask him to do and you know hopefully he'll continue to get bigger 
as his maturity as he gets older and um, you know he'll get better and better give me an idea because i'm not in the business of recruiting high school players or transfer portal players and then trying to coach them afterwards do you is it easy to recognize whether a kid is coachable before you get him not really um you know the demands you place you know, are usually a little bit more than they have at the high school level. Um, unless you really know the high school coaches and, and you can talk with them. Uh, but that's where, you know, going to games and watching their body language and watching how they interact with their teammates, you know, is something that, you know, you like to do as much as you can. And during COVID and, and you know, some of the recruiting restrictions, you weren't able to do that quite as much. But being there in person, uh, watching how they respond to pressure, how they respond to their teammates, any adversity that may come up in the game is always helpful. But other than that, you kind of got to count on the coach. And, you know, every coach's standards are different. So it's it, not a, an exact science by any means. And you mentioned a lot of things that are going on now with the transfer portal. Uh, you don't really get to research some of those guys as much as you w- would like. Uh, NIL has had an effect on not only recruiting, but, you know, how guys view themselves on the team. And, you know, uh, those are all things that, you know, for an 18-year-old are hard to decipher. And um, so it's it's not an exact science, and it's definitely been a change over the last three or four years and something that an old man like myself is is having a little hard time adjusting to. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you, we all are. You either yeah. got to adjust or, or fall behind. And, um, you know, agents getting involved now. You know, uh, before players couldn't have agents, now they can have an agent. So not only are you answering to parents and high school coaches and AAU coaches, girlfriends, uh, now you got agents. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's it's a tough time for an 18, 19-year-old. But I think Jackson's handled it pretty well. Um, AJ has handled it well. They've got great parent support there, and I think that helps. Uh, and Mookie's going to be a good player for us. Uh, he's been doing a little bit more live action here, and hopefully we can get him a few minutes maybe this weekend and, and get him started. But... Uh, all three of those guys have done a good job. Uh, they've battled some injuries, but they're all trying to play and doing a good job for us. I remember a time when you, as a college coach, had a relationship with the high school coach, and that was the person that was important in the recruitment. It was you know, outside of the family. And, and then it became, Hare was an AAU coach or a club coach, and that changed the equation. Now you're talking about agents. At what point does the agent get involved when you're recruiting a player oh john with with uh transfer portal a lot of those guys have agents it's a lot of times the first contact they they call us and say hey we've got this kid and and his name's in the portal are you interested so you know the agents are out there shopping them around and uh, you know again that's really been a big change for me and um you know the money that's involved and uh that is, it's, it's just a big change. You know, for 40 years that I was doing this, the worst thing that could have been said about you is that you bought players. 
<laughs> and um, now, you know, that's part of the equation. You know, how much money they're getting and all that is is a big part of the equation. And so it, it's changed so drastically, so quickly that, um, you know, you got to adjust and you, you got to play the game and, and the game has really changed. Do you have to have a person on your staff then who who is dealing with the agent? Because if I'm with if I'm you, I don't want to deal with the agent. Like that needs to be somebody else's job. But you know, I'm I'm like you. I uh, you know there might be some coaches who definitely want to be involved with that agent early on. Do you do you pass that person to somebody, or is that a conversation you're having? I'm having a lot of them. You know, I, I think our entire staff is. Um, you know, but at some point in time, that agent probably is going to get me on the phone if, if we get serious about it. And, you know, that, again, has been a big change for me. Um, and, you know, but it's just something you got to do. And uh, so, again, these are things that have all popped up in the last couple of years. And, and those agents are, are dealing because they, they get a part of that NIL. And so they're they're looking out for their clients, and they're trying to drive the best deal possible. And uh, a lot of times they're maybe throwing numbers that aren't accurate, trying to get their their client, uh, their player, a better deal. So again, the game's changed, John, and um, you know it's it's a different period. Um, I mentioned that we've got to adjust, and and I've got to do a better job of it. You know, I. I don't feel like I adjusted quick enough, and uh, the game changed quickly on me there. And I always liked the thought that I kept up with the times, but uh, this has been a little different. Dana Altman with us, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. Uh, I, I think in a recent post game, you kind of mentioned that Biddle and Dante will get evaluated here this month. Are are you anticipating that one or both might? suit up in the month of January or is this a February conversation or what are you hoping for? Well, I'm hoping January. Um, but I, you know, I want to be optimistic. So they're both working at it. I, um, I love the effort they're putting in and trying to rehab and get back to their team. Um, Mookie's, you know, worked hard, but again, the expectations for Mookie, he's been out eight months and, um, you know, live action for eight months. It's, it's going to be an adjustment period coming back. Uh, he hurt that, you know, ankle last week, April, first week of May. And, and so it's been a full eight months since he's seen any action. And so it's going to take a while for him to get back. You know, Nate and Dante now have been out for, you know, they had their surgery six weeks ago. And so it's not going to be a quick turnaround for them either. So, uh, again, I, you know, hope to get him back because we sure need him. You, you can tell if you've watched his play. You know, we're not throwing it inside. We're, we've got a lot of, you know, spread in the floor trying to. But you can only play that way so long. Eventually, got to throw that thing inside. And eventually, got to have some rim protection. And uh, those two guys definitely give us that. Yeah, you've got, you know, some guys that you mentioned that are playing well. This week, you've got Washington, Washington State. What do you see on film when you look at those two opponents this week? Well, Washington's one of the oldest teams in the country. Uh, they're very experienced. They're old. You know, uh, our fans are familiar with Moses Wood, who who played at Portland. He's doing a nice job for them. 
uh, Brooks and Wheeler, two guys that transferred in from Kentucky, so you know the talent level there. A young man from Rutgers who's, you know, grad transfer. You know, they're starting four grad transfers and a senior. So, um, you know, they're old. They're very experienced. And they're deep. You know, they've got, they've got ten guys that they're rotating in there. So, we know that we're going to have to have to play really well and uh, you know the seven eight guys whoever we have in our rotation you know are really going to have to be focused and going to have to play extended minutes and and play through some adversity uh, so but Washington is a good team and, and they're well coached they're doing a great job they're mixing up their defense you know they've always gone almost exclusively man since Mike's been there or excuse me zone but now they're going man a lot more uh, than zone and so throwing the zone in is kind of a changeup. But, uh, you know, the last five years since Mike's been there, it's been all zone. Dana Altman with us. Uh, the conference as a whole, you know, I heard people early on saying, hey, it's Arizona and everybody else. And then Stanford beats Arizona. What do you see in the Pac-12? How do you expect this conference season to go? Well, I think Colorado's really good. Um you know, I, I think they're old, experienced, and um, deep. So I think Colorado right now is is maybe the second best team. Stanford obviously is talented, and they've played a really tough schedule and you know lost some close games. But uh, you know, you saw what they could do. They they hit 16 to 25 threes in that ball game. So that kind of uh, you know that's how you score 100 points against Arizona, who is really good and really deep. Uh, Arizona State's bounce back. They get a couple of the double transfers that once the NCAA changed that rule, uh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of making up the rules as we go here. The double transfers weren't eligible to start the season. Now all of a sudden uh, they are eligible. And so Arizona State got a lot better real quick and uh, brought in a couple starters that were double transfers. Uh, you know, UCLA and USC are really talented, both teams. Uh, UCLA's just young, and, and USC's just kind of struggling to find, you know, rotation and, and roles for all their guys, but they're both really talented. Uh, Washington Washington State are both playing really well. We know, as I said, we're going to have our work cut out. And I, Wayne's done a great job. They've won all those close games, and and they're, they're a young team. And so and they pop USC. They played their best game. From what I've seen, um, you know, I thought they played really good against USC the other night. So, uh, again, it's going to be a balance. And the Colorado-Utah swing is, is the toughest. Utah's playing really good. So, uh, balanced league, you know, we didn't do as well in the non-conferences. I hoped a league, as a league conference, we would have done. Uh, but I think we've got some really competitive teams, and it's going to be a, a big conference race that I think will be a pretty good one. Coach, I really appreciate you making time. It's been fun to watch your guys uh, develop, especially the young guys. I look forward to seeing just like you, you know, you want Dante and Biddle back. I'd like to see him on the court. I think you know, you could be a not just a tournament team, but you could be a really tough out in the tournament if you can get those all back. And I know a lot of that's out of your control, but uh, you know, healthy, uh, healthy being the word for the year for you is not a bad word. Well, we've had a couple years here where things just, uh, you know, we've we've been nicked up more than usual, and it's created some problems. But 
I, I really do think if we get those guys back, it gives us rim protection, which we've we has really hurt our defense, and it gives us an inside scoring threat, which would really help our offense. And those two things, those two guys can give us, and those are the two things we desperately need. So hopefully we'll get one or both of them back here and, and we can make a little run. Well, good luck to you. I will see you down the road. Thanks for joining us. All right, John. Take care. Take care, Coach. Dana Altman, there he goes. Uh, Steven, we got a download on that. I've got some thoughts, but if they can get if they can get Dante Orbital back, I'm not going to say Ann, and Dante's the guy that I would want back if I were Dana Altman. Biddle certainly adds something, but if you can get Dante back in the shorter term and then Biddle back eventually, the guards, he's got great guards, and he's got a great young forward. He's got uh, Shellstad, who I think come tournament time will be blossoming. Uh, that Oregon team is is dangerous, particularly in a conference that doesn't have dominant teams. Like UCLA doesn't look dominant. U- USC, a uh, lot of pressure on Andy Enfield right now. People upset with how USC has played to this point of the season. Uh, I think he's ready to, like a parent, uh, parent uh, coach sit down ahead at USC. You know which parent I'm talking about. But uh, what do you what do you think of Oregon? Yeah, no, that, and here's the thing is in the NCAA tournament, John, you're always looking at what team has those guards, right, that can really lead you to a victory. And Oregon has them, right? When they're healthy, they have them. If Kuznard and you said Shellstad, like he's really, you know, taking those reins, Brent Rigsby, Rigsby off the bench. You know, if they can get another guy, even, you know, another guard that is one of those guys they can take over games, but their strength really is those big men. And so you're right. If they can get one of those guys back, whether it's Biddle or Dante, they have a complete team. Then KJ Evans, he's stepped in, and you know Altman even said this. He stepped into a new role with Biddle and Dante being hurt. He's had to be, you know, the big basically on the team, and that's not even his best role. His best role is kind of just being a slasher, being athletic, being a young 19 year old that's six foot nine and can play in the NBA. Like that's what his best role is. And so now he's, you know, filling it out and trying to become just a better player, become a guy that can be physical. So I think you're right. I think Oregon is a tournament team. And I think that they could actually go on a nice little run here in the Pac-12 because, you know, the Pac-12, I wouldn't say it's down, but I say it, I would say it's wide open, right? Like, I think there's a chance that if one of these teams gets healthy, gets on a roll, they could really, uh, you know, take advantage of uh, just how the Pac-12 goes. I think it is down. I Because I, I, I always judge conferences by their best teams. And, you know, like right now, we're in football. We look at Washington playing for the national championship. We look at Oregon, which was a team that flirted with being in the playoff. You look at Arizona. You look at Oregon State, USC, Utah, you know, that top six, those are your best teams. That fortifies your conference. That makes you who you are. You don't talk about Colorado at one and eight in conference player at Stanford or Arizona State or Washington State who ended up at the bottom of the conference. You don't, you don't hold those up as the shining examples of how good you can be. But in men's basketball, he likes Colorado, Utah, Arizona certainly they're ten and three. They're they're a top ten, top fifteen team, you know, regardless of how you spin it, even the loss to Stanford. Um after that, I do think that the conference is a little deeper because of Oregon State being better than expected, Stanford being better than expected, certainly UCLA creates some depth, even though they're not at the top, but there's not a there's not a, like a clear final four team or a you know, even a lead eight team after Arizona's lost to Stanford, I'm kind of wondering about them. That's where this conference needs help. It needs somebody like Colorado or Utah or Oregon with Dante and Biddle back 
to emerge as a team that could be dangerous in a tournament. Yeah, I actually think Colorado is the best team in the conference. I think it's, they're going to end up winning the conference. Uh, you know, they got they got a freshman in Cody Williams who's going to be an NBA guy, and then they got, as Altman said, some veterans with the Silva and KJ Simpson. Like they got the guards, they got the bigs. Uh, Eddie Lampkins, a guy who played at TCU a couple years ago when they battled Gonzaga really close. He was a big guy that can play. Like I think Colorado is the best team and probably has the best chance of making the tournament run, but it all just kind of has to come together for him. You're right. Like they're not a guaranteed second weekend team. And I think, so you're right on that point that the PAC 12 isn't necessarily top heavy right now. Leave it here. You got the BFT more ahead. Some parting thoughts. I was a little surprised, Steven, that you're five at five did not mention the uh, Carolina Panthers owner. Well, Funny story, a drink about, fans. funny story about that, John. Uh, at 4.57, I had six stories, and I went to ask Judah what would be the best fifth story I had. Or uh, you know, I needed two stories, and I had three mm-hmm. different options. That was the other option was the David Tepper story. David Tepper was fined today $300,000 by the NFL. I don't know what the most expensive drink you ever bought was, but Tepper had a $300,000 drink that he threw in the direction of a Jaguar fan from his open-air suite in Jacksonville. Um, the NFL is saying that uh, personnel are expected to conduct themselves, blah, 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 in a proper way, blah, 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 favorably reflect on your team and the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Tepper then said in a statement that he is passionate about his team but regrets his behavior. That's such a stupid response. Well, is it, statement. Is it the 300000 basically the same price that you and me would pay for, like, a drink? Yeah. Because right. he has so much money? I mean, it's, right. yeah. it's like, you know, 10 bucks. He... Um, Needs to understand that he plays by different rules because he's the owner of the team. Um, he needs to understand that uh, he needs to take the higher road than a fan. He is the second richest owner in the league. He's got a net worth of like $20 billion. So the fine is less than 1% of 1% of his wealth. Um, very similar to what Bud Adams got in 2009. Remember this one? Tennessee owner uh, made an obscene gesture at Buffalo fans. And he got two hundred fifty thousand dollars fine. So now three hundred thousand dollars. And and by the way, the the video was posted on social media by a Jags fan who shot the video from another suite. And you know, three minutes to go in the game. Bryce Young throws a pick. Very frustrated. Bryce Young throws a tablet on the sideline. Carolina, by the way. Hadn't been shut out in 342 games. Panthers are 2-14. and 14. It's a bad year. And Tepper throws the drink. Very little has gone right. And uh, you got to wonder if Carolina would consider that the quarterback is part of the problem or not part of the problem. Do you think it's a Bryce Young problem or... Is Bryce Young just part of the problem, or is he not at all the problem? It's too early to tell for me with Bryce Young. I mean, the the... The offensive line isn't very good. The running game's not very good. Like he just doesn't have weapons right now, and it was an unfair spot. And they go Frank Wright as their head coach. Like that was a bad hire. I think it's too early to tell if Bryce Young's a problem. But the bigger problem, John, is uh, the Panthers don't have their first pick in the draft. It would be it would be the first overall pick. They don't have it. It's going to the Bears because they traded it up for Bryce Young, so they don't even get that pick. Like the Panthers are in a real bad spot here, and. I just think it's it's really bad of Tepper to be throwing drinks at people. And there's been instances where fans throw drinks at players and they get barred for you know banned from life. So I, I just think they have to come down stronger than what they did. And it just looks bad again. Yeah, it's a bad look. And Tepper, you know, you talk about owners. I think owners and GMs 
should also have records attached to them like head coaches have. Because it's not just the head coach who's responsible for winning or losing the game. We all know that. But we sort of just accept that, you know, when Don Shula's record is Don Shula's record. We don't look at the GM's record or whatever. I I actually think Neil Olshay, you know, all those losses that the Blazers had in the last few years, should count on his record. I think Tepper is an owner. Should have a record. What's his record since he bought the team? He's 31-67. and 67. So that you could say as a fan, you could say, fire the damn owner. He's 31-67. and 67. I wonder what Jody's record is. Yeah, the owners should have records. Why do the owners not get to not have a record? Just because they own the damn team? You should have a record. We're back tomorrow. Another great show. Grab a podcast.